This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. Holy cow, you made it an entire week. You did it. You did it, and you did it listening about Trump every day. See? Life is good. And it's uh, it's Friday, so you can get ready. By the way, it's not even just Friday because, you know, it's also Carrot Cake Day, which is different than Carrot Top Day. Mm. Just right now, he's enjoying a little bit of carrot cake as we speak. You got to love uh, Fridays, number one, because what that means is tomorrow we won't have to talk about Trump. We'll get to read about Donald. What are we going to talk about? Tomorrow you just get to talk about breakfast with your kids. Hey, let's clean our rooms. Oh, that's you know, like every day. That kind of stuff. Tomorrow is the uh, conversation at my house. What should we eat this week? Oh, is that and when we, you And we your... both go, oh, seriously? Is that when you do your, your list, your yeah. laundry? Gro- or grocery and... shopping is always Saturday morning. Is it really? Yeah. We've been doing it since we got married. Do you so go together? Yeah. How romantic. Whole family, we go play. That's great. See, he doesn't need to go to your uh, weekend. His date, my date night? Yeah. I told, I'm i telling you, Matt, I've got it covered. Well, the problem good. is that you also don't seem to love weekends. They just seem to, We always are, seem excited, and you are kind of like, Ugh. Well, it... But now I know why, because you got to go shopping. Knock shack. That, that's one thing I, I really enjoy about it. It just seems to just go so fast, and then we're back here. And so looking forward to something that wraps up so quickly just seems kind of oh. kind of a defeating process seems for me. So I mean, there is the Super Bowl, and I am excited about that. Oh, the Super Bowl. Come on. That's going to be huge, right? Yeah. And the Puppy Bowl that you talk about all the time, that'll if be we, before it. If we flip over to the, that channel. Yeah. I'd say watch the Puppy Bowl, skip Trump's interview. Yeah. Because you want a weekend free of that kind of stuff. Well, and you wonder, he's, you know he's going to talk about ratings. Obviously. You know, he's got to. Did you hear so CNN's fake news? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The crowd sizes. Who's interviewing? Who do you think? Fox News. Oh, uh, Riley. His best friend. O'Reilly. Yeah. The, Bill it's, O'Reilly. It's the one show he watches every night. He's not going to do the play-by-play? No. Hmm. I'd tune in for that. I really would. Would you? Yes. I, I think Fox would have a, almost a complete revolt if, if they had a politician of any kind in the box yeah, during the game, it's like just focus on the game. Yeah, it would get it would get ugly. Uh, did you hear the whole Schwarzenegger Trump thing? I did. That was pretty interesting. Yeah. Again, we're talking about Donald's old show. Yeah, but then Schwarzenegger well, comes that he's back. He's still with, executive producer on. He's still pulling yeah. a check from them. Yeah, so it would benefit him to have better ratings. I thought he said he wasn't getting any money from it. Just titled. Maybe his company does. Yeah. Because, you know, there's a blind trust. Um, one thing, Schwarzenegger's like, look, let's just switch jobs. Let's switch jobs. I'll take your job. You take my job. Then you can come get better ratings. And then if I take your job, then America can sleep. Yeah, maybe. Interesting, but there's one small problem. What's that? Well, he's not American. Oh, good point. I mean, he might have dual citizen citizenship, but he wasn't born here. But and he, he, he was a governor, but not very good. But he, so. but he was also the Terminator. So who else yeah. do you want? He was actually the president in the Simpsons movie. He was. Oh my heavens! So exciting. He has all kinds of experience. Apparently, this is a big deal. Um, Donald Trump, a uh, little magic going on as well. I'm sure we'll get into that in the news. 
he's he's pushing back on the settlements in Israel. Um, yeah. Uh, what's her I name? I thought he was a friend of Israel. Haley. Yeah. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley uh, over the UN is now yeah. pushing back on Russia, saying we're going to keep. You know. Well, if you see the the pictures of what's going on in Russia, you you can see that there is a government that's apparently trying to test a certain yeah. new president to see how far they can go. But what's interesting is Donald keeps talking, but there's a, this trend of all of his cabinet members kind of correcting him yeah. and fixing some of his. Maybe. Bravado. Yeah, we'll see. Whoa, crazy time. Especially in the State Department. Yeah, Tillerson show up and he well, spoke to his yeah. new people, I guess. And he's got he's got some fences to mend. Yeah. Especially like with 900 people. That... Well, it's not really fences. It's just they have more experience at on the ground, this type of situation. He right. has some people to listen to. Well, but he also, remember, they're also, you know, there's a lot of political correctness. Yeah. There's a lot of kowtowing to the rest of the world, Donald feels like, and right. America. Just like that. That, my friends, was a kowtow. By the way, there's a, uh, a rumor yeah. from sources close to me to saying you? that there are uh, more countries to be added to the uh, no-go no list or whatever they're calling it. Close, sources closest to you, like mom? No. Dad. Your wife? No. <gasps> Oh my God! I, I have people with you inside have people knowledge that have inside knowledge that other countries could be added and to the seven. They have list. been on phone calls. Kellyanne well, Conway, no. <laughs> and maybe by the way, some names will be taken off. Now we've had a story about a yesterday about a guy who faked his own death to get insurance benefits yeah. and claimed mad cow disease and went to Venezuela. Right, that might be one of the countries. Really, that might be a country. Oh, so there he is. Our, our market for fake. Death certificates mm-hmm. that he was trying to get from Venezuela, that market might be drying up. Oh, boy. So get your fake death certificate quickly. <laughs> get it quickly. We also will be talking about um, war and social media. What is it good for? What war? What's it good for? War and social media because now your war can go viral, which yeah. not only – you know because you can be live streaming your shooting, the shooting in wherever. I sat in the other room of several uh, – what about a month ago, and watched uh, Iraqi troops enter Mosul. Oh, I mean, live on Facebook, which it was amazing. Not good for generals. Well, no, but but then and then they also ISIS is using social media at a level never seen before, right? To recruit, but also to show the carnage, the damage. So we'll be speaking with an expert uh, about war and social media technology, the internet, how it's changing the face of war. Um, it's actually – the article is incredible. It's, it's out of the Atlantic, but it's, just, it's a very scary, ominous thing. Mm. <sighs> scary. We'll get to that, which, you know, maybe that's why you need a president that's really strong and tough with, with incredible generals that sometimes you'll listen to. Mm. We'll get to all that fun. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? As we spoke about, Nikki Haley, the new U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, has appeared before the U.N. Security Council Thursday, called for Russia to de-escalate violence in eastern Ukraine. She said the United States continues to condemn and call for an immediate end to Russian occupation of Crimea. Crimea is a part of Ukraine. Our Crimean-related sanctions will remain in place until Russia returns control over the peninsula to Ukraine. Haley was addressing an emergency meeting at the U.N. due to an uptick in violence in eastern Ukraine. In recent days previously, uh, during the presidential campaign, Trump suggested he might recognize Russia's annexation of Crimea. He tossed that out as an option. So it was kind of interesting to hear her 
addressing the uh, Security Council this way. U.S. Defense Secretary James Mattis on Thursday threatened North Korea with an effective and overwhelming retaliation if the country decides to utilize its nuclear arsenal. According to Reuters, Mattis issued the warning during his two-day visit to South Korea where he sought to reassure U.S. allies in the region that President Donald Trump's administration is fully committed to their security says any attack on the United States or our allies will be defeated and any use of uh, nuclear weapons could be met with or would be met with with a response that would be effective and overwhelming. As he said, Uh, he's in Japan today making the same sort of reassurances after Trump was talking about Japan maybe going it alone. Get your own bombs. What do we need to protect you for? (laughs) He, so, again, he's clarifying that the president may not know what he's talking about. Maybe. President Trump Friday will order a rollback of financial service regulations imposed by the Dodd-Frank Act, according to reports. White House Economic Council Director and former president of Goldman Sachs, Gary Cohen, called on the upcoming order as a table setter, adding that the actions are intended to keep the president's campaign promises, in which he said he would dismantle the Dodd-Frank Act and replace it with new policies to encourage economic growth and job creation. For uh, those, just a refresher, Dodd-Frank was enacted in 2010 in the aftermath of the subprime mortgage meltdown that led to the 28, 20, uh, 2008 financial crisis. Mm. And, uh, yes, yeah, so we're just rolling all that back because, you know, they can do it better now. Oh, boy. With no rules. Yeah, why would they roll that back? Because the guys in charge used to be in charge of Goldman Sachs, and he didn't like the laws then. Uh, oh, well. The Senate voted early this morning, a Senate committee, yes. voted to advance. Oh, uh, they pushed her out of committee. Betsy DeVos. DeVos. Even though there was the interesting, they, they had a six thirty in the morning a.m. Eastern time meeting, which is really early. But they did that to start a clock, yeah, which whatever the time period was. But they were able to reach a fifty-two to forty-eight vote along party lines. Hold on, then that wasn't in committee. That was coming out of committee. It goes to the floor of the Senate. But so the, did the Senate really vote fifty-two to forty-eight on DeVos? Has it happened? I don't what, what, I, what I read is this was coming out of committee, not necessarily yeah. the actual like. But, but the committee but would have only been like 14 right, or whatever. So, and again, there are two Republicans that are saying they're not going to yeah. support her. She's going to get through. Right. Could It could be up to the vice president, though. Right. But again, they already know if she's going to make it or not, or they wouldn't be in such a hurry. Right. That's crazy. The last time one of these sort of early morning meetings happened, mm-hmm. do you know what that was? What? Obamacare. It oh, was, really? It was like the day before Christmas, 7 a.m., they voted. Yeah. Well, a lot of pushback now for Democrats because they're they're stalling on everything. But in a way, they got to be careful, right? Because being obstructionist didn't do a you know a lot for the Republicans, Im, you know, you know, image. Right. And you don't want to be the one that's stalling everything. So. So we'll see. Also, the former prime minister of Norway was questioned and prevented from leaving Dulles Airport for about an hour on Tuesday (laughs) because they looked at his passport. He had visited Iran in 2014 as part of his official duties as the prime minister. Um, He says, I'm not a threat, obviously, but because I went to that country. Hold it. Not a threat. You went to Iraq or Iran. Iran. Yeah, you're a threat and a prime minister. And finally, some of the best golf balls in America are apparently made and are sold at Costco. 
Really? And they've been sold out for almost the past two months. Sold at just $1.25 a piece. Costco's wildly popular uh, Kirkland Signature brand golf balls are suddenly causing quite the commotion in the billion-dollar industry. The Wall Street Journal reports with secondary market prices soaring, meaning like eBay. That's the only place you can get them now is on eBay. The ball, they're out. They're slowly sold out. The balls are thought to perform as well as rival balls that set, sell for more than twice as much, threatening one of the sport's long-held consumer beliefs. When it comes to the quality of golf balls, you generally get what you pay for right so you pay right. more you right, get yeah. a higher quality they're paying a buck 25 a piece they come out of i believe south korea a company makes them over there and they, they brand them and with the costco hot. brand and just toss them out there next to your socks that you buy at costco but you do have to buy 200 of them at once that's right but that's people, always the downside and, and people are like i'm gonna buy like as many as i possibly can because I, I guess the flight the control whatever yeah. with the golf ball but, yeah. Wow. So now. <laughs> the, of these like Nike and Titleist are like, oh, what the? Kirk, How much now, research you'll is start wearing, uh, You'll start seeing Tiger Woods or whoever wearing a Kirkland brand shirt. Just says, Kirkland Signature? <laughs> Kirk, Kirkland Signature brand. Crazy. Um, Super Bowl, folks, you got, you got to be getting geared up for that. Right. I have to get my Doritos tomorrow. Oh, yeah. This is the only time of year. One time a year, I get to eat Doritos. Every year, Matt needs to get his Cheetos puffs. Yeah, you know, I'm f- I'm not liking Cheetos anymore. Mm. We have Cheetos in our cupboards that I haven't touched. Well, you do have a, an allergic reaction to them when you eat them. Well, you're you're like yeah. your face is about have twice you know, the size. It swells. Yeah, I retain more salt, more water. I mean, yeah, it's my face swells. My I the weirdest thing, I start growing chins. Like more chins than one. Triple chins. So, in fact, I lost a golf ball in there. It's kind of bad. And I think once you dropped a match on your bowl of That's ever Cheeto since, puffs and it, it went up in flames. Oh, and then fast. Ever since I saw that you could use it as kindling, I thought I'm not doing this anymore. No wonder my stomach hurts. No wonder. By the way, seventh uh, Super Bowl with Brady and Belichick. Belichick. And if he wins, then he breaks the record for uh, yeah. most winning, winningest quarterback of all right? historical time. Uh, who since, are the uh, Montana? Or that's yeah. the actor Joe Montana. Uh, Joe, Joe Montana. Montana. <laughs> Joe Montana. He's right there. And Terry Bradshaw. And Terry Bradshaw with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Tom Brady, Belichick. That's. I mean, that's a good combination. But I still really like the idea of the Falcons winning. Really? Because their quarterback is incredible and hasn't won anything. Isn't everybody rooting for them? Um, probably. Everybody but, you know, Boston. Yeah. Massachusetts, New Hampshire. Those people, they're really into the Patriots. I think the Patriots even want the Falcons <laughs> to win. I don't think so. Anyway, that'll be fun. We'll be talking, I'm sure, Super Bowl all day as well, we'll also talk with them in our third hour. We'll go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, get some uh, heads up from them. BYU, by the way, had a close one last night with number one Gonzaga. Mm. Ten points. Mm. It's close. I mean, there looked like there was a comeback. It was just more like a back than a comeback. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're talking about uh, the weaponization of social media. It's a big deal. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about how social media is being weaponized across the world. You know, the power of social media, it is amazing. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr all get uh, information out fast and on a global scale. The Internet has made the world a smaller place, affecting everything, including war. And our next guest uh, is going to, you know, illuminate us on this one. This one is a – this is a big Big issue because what happens when now you can live stream uh, from the front of a war and you can live stream it to thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in an effort to create propaganda to drive more people to actually see maybe the carnage and show that we're winning even though we're losing. It's a it's a scary tool and it can be used to recruit. It can be used uh, to, you know, demotivate and, and create a disincentive for others. So we're honored to have him. Emerson T. Brooking is a research fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, um, and he studies the intersection of social media and conflict. Emerson T. Brooking, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. This is such an article. Holy cow, Emerson. It's one of the biggest articles I've ever had to read for the show. Come on. Huge. <laughs> No, but it's. Oh, we barely scratched the surface. I'm, I'm sure you I, did. Uh, even we, as we wrote this in October, we focused primarily on the uh, use of social media by ISIS and uh, the emerging techniques that Russia's been using uh, with regards to information warfare and the obfuscation of truth. But even publishing then, uh, it feels like it was years ago with regard to all of the stories we've had developing more recently along the lines of, uh, you know, fake news and uh, challenging the very nature of reality. Because that, that's really... Proliferation. That's, that's where social media has its strength, right? Because social media, one thing it does do is it gets everybody kind of focused not on understanding the whole picture, but deeply understanding one side of the issue. The side you're most right. bought into. That's right. And also uh, understanding the issue from the perspective that they want to. Mm. Yeah. Something, something that we uh, touch on in the piece, but which is clear really for anyone who's used uh, Facebook for five minutes, is that it's quite easy to uh, fall into uh, a, a network of news sources and information which complements your pre-existing point of view. This, the uh, technical term for this is homophily, mm. or love of the same. And the idea is that the Internet, although you have all the information in the world available to you, you're much more likely to seek out sources that uh, simply reinforce your pre-existing beliefs. And as such, it can actually be a tool that drives people further apart, even if uh, they can readily communicate anywhere in the world. Which is why somebody reads an article that's fake news, that's generated, that's not real, but it feels real. We, they like it. it. It jives with what they believe, and they don't question it. Right. Boy. Uh, and, and we found um, increasingly the – if something is presented as fact online, if there is a, an attractive picture that accompanies it, if you uh, see an attractive image or video, you are likely to buy into what this story is saying, regardless of whether or not it's true. There was a recent study done 
which found that something like 60 or 70% of high schoolers, if presented with obviously fake stories and real stories, but both of which, you know, looked like a legitimate piece of news, they could not tell the difference at all. Mm. And, uh, I mean, adults are essentially the same way. We are not yet prepared for just how disparate our sources of information are getting. Boy. And and yet, um, you know, we just keep... We just keep, you know, watching recipes and looking at funny viral, viral videos, and we don't know, we don't know how this could be weaponized, as you termed it, um, how social media could be weaponized. A, a quote I wanted to read from your article, it just, it really, it's it's so prophetic. Um, it's from Sidney Morse, 1838. By the way, Morse code, right? Wrote to his brother Samuel to congratulate him on a recent unveiling of the telegraph, which Sidney called not only the greatest invention of his age, but the greatest invention of any age. He then prophesied, the surface of the earth will be networked with wire, and every wire will be a nerve. The earth will become a huge animal with 10 million hands, and in every hand a pen to record whatever the directing soul may dictate. And that was just the telegraph. (laughs) I mean... It's happened, right? It's happened, right. and beyond any scope that they could have ever imagined. So, so how how is it being used um, as a weapon? How is ISIS? How is ISIS now, you know, taking it on and using it to to spread its propaganda? Uh, we should say first that uh, that machine of ten million hands is now a hand uh, machine of I think three point four billion hands is oh. growing. Holy cow! And with regard to ISIS, we we opened the piece, and, and something that just really struck us was um, uh, uh, both of us come from the defense analysis community in D.C., and we'd been following the Islamic State a little bit before other folks, but they were essentially one rebel group among many battling it out in Syria. However, in uh, June 2014, they launched an offensive into Iraq. There were never more than about two or 3,000 militants. They were using the same uh, secondhand rifles and dusty pickup trucks as most any insurgent group passed. But nonetheless, they managed to rout a well-equipped and well-trained Iraqi army, uh, a garrison easily 10 or 20 times the size of the attacking force. And... It was, it was crazy because on the ground, very little had changed from a conflict, any conflict decades past. <clears throat> but the difference was instead the fear. Mm. Concurrent with this offensive into Iraq, uh, ISIS social media operatives spent an immense amount of time teeing up a Twitter hashtag campaign in Arabic that would correspond with the attack and essentially let it go viral. Uh, throughout the offensive, they were posting, you know, these, these uh, uh, images with an attractive Instagram filter on them. They were sharing with their followers well-edited videos of what looked like one-sided heroic firefights. They made sure to emphasize everywhere they could what happened graphically mm. to people who resisted. And as a consequence, even though not that many folks in Iraq use the Internet, word of mouth is a powerful tool. And 
All it took was one person seeing one snippet of one thing online for the fear to manifest and spread such that it was this emotional resonance and propaganda which had as powerful of a battlefield impact as anything that ISIS actually did in the real world. Magnifying it, really, right? So 3,000 or whatever soldiers looks like 50,000. Exactly. And um, I didn't think about that, but I think you did mention it in your article. You, they're using – this is – you know, these are, these are people that, don't, that hardly have technology, but they're using some of the most advanced tools like Twitter – and Instagram, and all of the filters of Instagram, and maybe an iPhone with its incredible camera and and video abilities, and they can edit it, and it's just being done with basic tools, but but really highly you know researched tools by some major companies, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, amazing. That's right. There are two things that bear. 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 There are two things
two things the bear there are 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 two things the bear
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking with Emerson T. Brooking. He is um, a researcher fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, studying the intersection of social media and conflict. Today he's talking about an article he wrote about the weaponization, really, about how social media, how Twitter is changing modern warfare. It really – it's it's scary, you know, what uh, – what Twitter in the hands of of a group of people that are just trying to misinform, that are just trying to create fear, terror, um, it, it's it's pretty intense. So we appreciate you again. Thanks, Emerson, for being with us. Glad to be here. And great work on this article. I mean, it's so well researched, and it, we don't have time to get into everything, but it has an incredible history of technology and the use of technology in warfare. Um, but talk about as we as we kind of look forward to this, uh, look f- moving forward with this. Where where does this go, and how how do we combat the you know the weaponization of social media, and who's responsible to combat it? Is Twitter the one that has to go after it? Should the government be working with Twitter to go after it? How does that work? Well, I'll say there are two groups that should do more. And one group that probably should not, and I'll start with that one, uh, that's the U.S. government. Many of these, actually all of the biggest social media platforms we're discussing are incorporated, based, and were founded in the United States. And uh, essentially, anytime there's an instance of lone wolf terrorism that has been aided by these platforms, Congress talks about some new regulation or uh, some way to combat it. In almost all these cases, it would be counterproductive from a business point of view. It might lead to these companies fleeing the United States. It's also fairly clear that it would be an instance of government overreach uh, with regard to constitutionality. Hmm. And most importantly, it wouldn't be effective. This is not something that can be solved through government regulation. Instead, the parties that have to step up are, first, the social media platforms themselves. Since we started following this issue, uh, we'll take Twitter as an example, the, the company has essentially done a 180 on terrorist use of uh, its technology. If we look back to 2011, the Taliban of Afghanistan actually had a Twitter account. Yeah. Because Twitter's perspective was that this was a platform for free speech. And in general, that's a great sentiment. And it's a very American sentiment. But it works less well when you're looking at it from an international perspective, which invariably has different conflict actors on different sides, some of whom are targeting U.S. soldiers. Mm. I mean, um, what a horrible PR so- position. Right. You, I mean, so, right. So, so you're saying let government doesn't need to intervene. Let the let the traditional market pressures push back on them. That's right. And uh, like if we take the story of Twitter, they move from having a, a Taliban account to at this point being very proactive in hunting down these accounts and banning them before they get too big. I've interviewed also volunteer brigades of Twitter users who essentially spend all day searching for these accounts to report them, huh. to uh, help Twitter out. There are 
automated systems, uh, which can actually, you could feed popular terrorist propaganda into them, and then they can scan in a passive way every new post and automatically flag something for review if it you know, pops up that they're mm. using that, that symbol. These are good ways to reduce the use of these platforms, public-facing platforms, by terrorists. And then the other thing uh, is we look more broadly to uh, the, the danger that objective reality could be destroyed um, just through uh, like this social media chatter. There's also a responsibility for civil society when someone tells something that is says something that is blatantly false uh, for everyday folks to step in and continue to correct the record to say, you know, no, that's not right. Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't have to necessarily be a political expression, but it is unfortunately the responsibility of everyone to defend some objective standard and to keep this online conversation from devolving purely into, uh, you know, a, a, a debate which is grounded in bias and not facts. Yeah, because it's an it's an open forum. These were created as open forums, but we all act like they're moderated for us. So, so only the truth could come in on Facebook because, you know, Mark Zuckerberg would want that. But the reality is, it's it's an open forum, so the people have to push against the people instead of assuming that there's an editor that's going to cut everything out. That's right. That's but so so you're really saying less government intervention and instead let the social media platforms and the civil society push back. I mean that's something I think as parents we could be teaching our kids that if you see it if you see a non-truth or something a lie, something false, you know, information, a don't pass it on, but b you could push back and make a comment and and say it's a lie. That's right. And there's been a lot of discussion recently uh, about information literacy. As I cited at the beginning of the show, more than half of teenagers can't tell a real story from a fake one. Right. Adults aren't much better. This, regardless of your politics, this is something which probably should be incorporated in school curricula because everyone, uh, kids included, young kids, anyone with a smartphone, or anyone who's borrowing a friend's smartphone, is exposed to this avalanche of information, which you never had before. And, I mean, if you're, if you're a young teen or younger than that, you are not yet equipped to discern truth from falsehood. True. And so educators need to make a more conscious effort to just teach how to tell when someone might be... Uh, you know, exaggerating. Yeah. And when something is true. Talk to us. We've only got about a minute left, Emerson. Talk to us about Donald Trump's use of the media. It seems like he gets the power of it in, you know, weaponizing it. <laughs> oh, man, that's more than a minute. Uh, <laughs> but I'll, I'll use just one example to show you that this techniques of information obfuscation are alive and well now in American politics as well. <laughs> If we reflect on the recent inauguration, we find that several news cycles were consumed by a debate over crowd size. Right. Why was that? Uh, you can look at pictures and see crowd sizes. Yeah. You can see data 
And you can have a definite number of folks who attended an inaugural event. But uh, because the president suggested there was another figure, unsubstantiated, but the, the, another figure of attendees different from the one that was backed by data, all of a sudden it becomes a debate. And a significant number of folks are naturally inclined to believe the president. This is just one small example, but it's emblematic of something we're going to see more in the future and that we must fight against. When something is introduced without backing simply to fog reality. And that's something, you know, as American citizens, as folks who believe in the truth and understand that the truth is necessary for democratic society, this is something that we all need to fight against. Yeah. No, that's... I think you're right on. And you see, you see the press pushing against it, except then Donald again creates more dust in the air by throwing, you know, casting aspersions about the uh, the media. Great, uh, great topic, Emerson. Thank you for your insight, your great work uh, there at the Council on Foreign Relations. Again, Emerson T. Brooking and uh, his article, How Twitter is Changing Modern Warfare. We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, continue the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is one of our fine producers, uh, McKenna Baus. I keep wanting to call you the boss. I mean, I am, but... <laughs> good, good point, good point. McKenna's here to talk about um, something that, you know, in a way, it's a little scary, a little controversial, because everyone has, you know, we always hear about peanut allergies, and you don't want to kill somebody by, you know, giving them a peanut butter cup when they're allergic to peanuts, but there's new guidelines about when to introduce peanuts to your children? There are. So in uh, January... Um, an article came out in the New York Times, which was talking about some new recommendations and some new uh, guidelines yeah. um, from doctors. And they're saying now that you should start feeding peanuts or peanut products, peanut powder to your kids when they're infants. It used to be really? wait at least until they were two, if not older. <gasps> but what if like, they have an event? Yeah, so that's one of the or big Or do they concerns. not get it? Do they not have the allergy till later? Well, what the stu- new studies show, they show that if you give kids peanuts earlier in life, yeah. um, the earlier it was, then they have an 80% reduced risk of developing a peanut allergy. Oh, really? So, yeah, you just got to jam those peanuts in early. Well, or yeah. Or peanut but- powder. Then again, you still, they might already have it and you have the risk of sending get, your kid I, to the hospital. And, you, and the hard thing is you can't give a baby a peanut. So you got to get the peanut powder we've got. We just yeah. bought that. That's good well, stuff. Well, you, you can pre-chew it and then administer the peanuts to them. Oh, also wow. An okay, option, That's what I birds guess. do. Thank you, Mama so. Bird. Mmm, yummy. <laughs> <laughs> What's your first memory of your parents? Well, I really don't want to talk about it, but it did involve a peanut. <laughs> that is sad. Okay, so what do we do? So the guidelines say earlier, mm-hmm. and then you just like rub a little peanut on them first. I, I guess you sort of have oil. to start, you know, feeding it to them little by little to sort of hope that it doesn't go wrong. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I think it plays into that whole idea of you know should you let your kid go play outside and roll in the dirt 
because it'll boost their immune system. Right, right. Or eat some you, dirt. You know, bathe them in Lysol every night to kill every germ so they never get sick. What's the better approach? So is is the mud whatever gets them out of a house? Yeah, my doctor brother in laws are all like, no, make your kids eat dirt. The more dirt they eat, the better they'll be. Um, is it? Do you? I thought it was like. You know, hereditary. I thought if grandpa had a peanut allergy, it's in the family. But because if that's the case, you might be worried to do it. You could just give them a tiny bit of peanut butter. You could. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I never, ever worried about it for my kids. So we probably did give our kids peanut butter earlier. Yeah. I mean, I obviously can't remember how old I was when I started being fed peanut butter. But as far as I can remember, it's been... I mean, I don't have Boy. any memories of not eating it. <laughs> but if it could reduce eighty percent of the of the problem, then that's that's a good start. I love peanuts. I just had me some muddy buddies last night with peanut butter. The peanut butter checks chocolate Those are so with good. powdered sugar coated in, on it. It's mm. amazing. It's the best treat you'll ever have. Why don't you bring some in? Yeah, why don't you have any for us? I may or may not have eaten them all. <laughs> it's such a good treat. They're gone. Um Okay, wow. Okay, so what 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 do we do? So the thing is is, you know, they come out with all these studies and I feel like they're just sort of freaking people out more right, and more. Right. You know, either don't feed it to your kids and so everybody's way on edge uh-huh. or you get these parents who find out, "Oh, you should have been feeding it to your kid earlier." And all of a sudden they have all this guilt like, "Did I <laughs> did I cause my the my right, kids allergy right. by not feeding it to them soon enough?" Um and you know, it the data it comes back pretty strong like this way you know in 2000 it was don't give it to them and now it comes back strong give, give it, it to them and you can't some doctors win. saying yeah. you know parents don't feel guilt right. because at this point that your kids either gonna have it or not yeah. but but you could i mean like maybe this is where you talk to your doctor and you're saying okay mm-hmm. i got the new baby what do we do i don't I'm worried about the peanut allergy. Maybe it's in the family. Maybe it's not. But there's ways to introduce it. You yeah. don't have to put it in their mouth. You could put peanut oil on their skin and, and see what happens. If that goes well, then maybe up it to uh-huh. something ingested. I and mean, then eventually a peanut butter cup. Yeah. Maybe they need to start, you know, having like little stations at doctor's office where they just like you go in yeah. and have your kid eat their sandwich there and. You just keep doing it every day. And- I've heard other doctors tell me that all of the allergy testing we do, that's not as accurate as we all think it is either. Well, I mean, I feel you put anything under your skin enough and it's yeah. going to bother you. You stick you. a needle under yeah. my skin, I'm going to be irritated. So right now we're trying to figure out which paint we want to paint our walls so we have all the different colors on the wall. You're saying we should do that on our baby's skin, just yes. try different oils. Try a little canola oil. Mm. See, that one's that one's causing a rash, uh-huh. but this Peanut one's normal. Oil. This one seems fine. Yeah. No, maybe don't do that. <laughs> well, McKenna, that's good advice. Yeah. It's just information, right? Yeah, it's but just... But check with your doctor. Check with your doctor, and I guess you just have to make that call as a parent. You know, do you want to be more protective? Or just let them go. Let them go, yeah. McKenna Baus is her name, or McKenna the Boss, we call her. Boss, boss mom, <laughs> bossing us around. Thanks, McKenna. We'll take a break, friends. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger. Stick with us. This is the
The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, uh, alongside Jeffrey Simpson as well as Terry South. The gang, together, it's Friday. The Apple Dumpling Gang. Yes. I'll have some apple dumplings. Terry, go get us some apple dumplings. Uh, Two of us in the room love Fridays. The other, not so much, because it means that then there's Saturday, then Sunday comes quickly, then we're back to Monday again. There we go. So you'd rather have it be Monday. That's why I've always been torn on, (laughs) do you want Friday off or the Monday off on a weekend? What would your answer be? I don't know. Monday, Friday, always. Friday going in is great, but knowing on Sunday that you don't go to work the next day is a great feeling also. But that's when you take Friday off. You just take the other day off as like a vacation day. No, no, no. We've talked about this before. Friday, you phone in anyway. Monday, if you get the Monday off, you come back and it's like the week is halfway over. That's true. But well, if, you're ma- if you take a Friday off, then you just mail in Thursday. No, hold I would never on. do that. Get, None of us you, are mailing in anything. We're, get, we're here to work. You get weekend creep at that point. <laughs> mailing, mailing takes too long. I, I would just use the phone. I'd phone it in. By the way, speaking of creeps. Hmm. Excuse me? What? He said weekend creep. Oh. All right. We got a lot to talk about today. Chore wars. You know? Are your, are your, are your home... Chore arguments holding you back from work. Chore Wars. Here's the theme to Chore Wars by which Williams was this written by? Don. Don Williams. No relation to John. And Williams is spelled differently. Yeah, with a Z. As we talked about on a previous show, conversations to have before you get married. Yeah. The division of labor is a conversation to have before you get married. You, you gotta. Who does what? You gotta decide. And in reality, guys are not picking up their fair share of the load. Well, because we're at work. Well, so are the wives. Oh. That that came out wrong. Yeah, I'll be getting a phone call from my mother later. Call Jeff Simpson, eight zero one. That's a good start. Four four five. <laughs> Something, 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 something. So we'll be talking about uh, Chore Wars and its its own anthem that we've created for it. Also today, um, we will be getting into Hillary Clinton goes to the theater. She did. And, and has an incredible reception, uh, as, especially compared to Mike Pence's reception, where he was booed. And, well, and other, and, you know, people were making comments. So... How come Hillary gets this incredible reception? It's pretty fun. We'll talk about that. It's, you know, she, she, ah, yeah, here comes the cough. She comes the cough. Plus, uh, there might be some insight into why Donald Trump has the sniffles. I don't know if you've heard about this. According to his, we talked about it a little bit a few days ago. According to his doctor, he's on a drug. Right. That does lead to a runny nose. Really? And if you remember, when they questioned him after the debates about his sniffling, he said, I don't have a cold. And he may not have a cold. He may just have a runny nose because of the drug he's on. Interesting. We'll talk about that. Plus, uh, just other crazy news. We call it empty news, which is empty stands for Matt Townsend News. 
um, news that you may not necessarily need, but uh, but you also might. And we also are celebrating Carrot Cake Day, the the just the staple at every wedding. <laughs> you need, that, I love, those chalky mints. I love carrot cake, though. I could. That's you know what. That's where I could get my five servings a day. I like spice cake with cream cheese frosting, which is carrot cake without carrots. The nuts and carrots and yeah, I don't like the nuts uh, and carrots. Screws cake. that show up in there. Screws. Wow. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's a hardware. Did store. you buy it at Home just... Depot? <laughs> you got to try this Home Depot carrot cake. It's to die for, literally. We'll get to all that fun. Um, also, a little bit later in the show, we'll be talking about the friend zone. If you've ever been friend zoned, uh, by the way, not a problem I've ever had. Really? No, okay. I have no friends and never dated and was ever put in the friend zone because that, I lived before the friend zone existed. Okay, or at least was identified. Yeah, back Th- then things just, have existed. Maybe we just weren't aware. We just, you know, we were buddies. All right, pals. Yeah. But first, before we get to all this excitement, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? In a spirit of cooperation and a spirit of understanding, on Thursday, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi twice referred to Trump's White House Chief of uh, Chief Strategist Stephen K. Bannon as a white supremacist. What's wow. making? What's? Uh, let's see. Actually, play clip one. Do you have clip one available? What's making America less safe is to have a white supremacist named to the National Security Council as a permanent member, while the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and the director of national intelligence are told, uh, don't call us, we'll call you. You're no longer permanent members, we'll call you when we need. Bannon did not immediately respond to a request for comment on her remarks. Wow. Call him a white supremacist. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Uh, a White House official insisted Thursday that President Trump was just being lighthearted when he threatened to send U.S. troops to Mexico to deal with the bad hombres down I was there. Just laughing. During his phone call to the Mexican president, the official told the AP that the comment was simply part of a discussion about how the United States and Mexico could work collaboratively to combat drug cartels and other criminal elements. A spokesman for Mexico's presidential office said the conversation was respectful and denied that Trump threatened military intervention. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it. But this is locker room talk. Sometimes you're lost in translation, though. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out, okay? That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. Believe me. Is that laughter or applause? When you hear about the yeah, tough phone both. calls I'm having, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the tough phone calls. Don't worry calls. about it. Relax. In a statement released Thursday, Senator John McCain said he called Australia's ambassador to the United States in a wake of the reported testy phone call that took place between President Trump and the Australian Prime Minister. The Arizona Republican said he spoke with Joe Hockey, the uh, ambassador, to express my un- unwavering support of the U.S.-Australian alliance. So John McCain's trying to mend fences. Last week, President Trump said that he would issue an executive order to open a Justice Department investigation into his unsubstantiated claim that millions of people illegally voted in the presidential election. The election order was initially canceled last Thursday and has not been rescheduled. A senior administration official told CNN that the investigation is not a top priority for Trump anymore, but it wasn't completely off the table. So we may bring it back later. So we'll it, get back to you. So it's a thing, but not a thing. We had some other facts come in. Does he have a short attention span? What? Huh? Trump. Yeah. yeah. Possibly. Trump? I don't think he has an attention span. And finally, Americans wrote 17.3 billion checks in 2015. Paper checks. Wow. Right? That's down from 41 billion in 2000. But by the way, really? 
Yeah. According to the Federal Reserve, for comparison, Americans made 69 billion debit card transactions last year. For retailers, the shift in purchase method is good news. It typically takes 67 seconds to pay with a check at checkout, compared with 25 seconds for cash, 24 seconds for a credit card, and 20 seconds for a debit card. So it's faster through the checkout. Do you know how hard it is to write 17 billion checks, a lot of checks with arthritic hands? Yeah. And with a pencil. Because those are the only people writing checks anymore are your 80, 70-year-old grandma writing you a $5 check for your birthday. My wife occasionally oh, writes a check. Your 70-year-old yeah. grandma and Terry's wife. And my wife. Yes. I just wrote a check two days ago for our car payment. I'll really? have you know. My wife handed me the checkbook about a month ago. I went, I can't remember how to do this anymore. <laughs> how, oh. What do I put in that memo line? Do I yeah. just make something Honey, up? Honey, can or? you write this for me? You, you really still write checks? Well, it's that or pay a fee to pay with a card or pay online. And the bank is like a few blocks from my house on the way home. Mm-hmm. So I'd so, rather just get out and write a check so and the, have some the, human interaction. The bank charges you to use the bank? Yes. Hmm. Boy, somebody needs a better credit score so that you <laughs> is don't that get, what that is? If you don't get charged the fee, yeah, once you bring that credit score up. I thought 200 was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny. Poor Jeff. Jeff, it'll, you'll get out of there. You, okay. Your credit score, now that you work with us, will get you back up to zero. Back up to ground level, I mean. Back up to a good 500. Maybe. <laughs> You're okay. You're okay. Relax. Because a 500 would delay the no by at least five or six minutes, right? Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, it's better than the twos. Well, the twos, they just laugh at you. They st- and it's really embarrassing. Well, they laugh at you and then they charge you fees. Like crazy. Anywho, happy Carrot Cake Day. Also, um, I was telling you that Hillary Clinton went to the theater, right? So what do you do when, you know— you know how they always, at the end of a Super Bowl, hey, where are you going? We're going to Disneyland. Right. So Hillary lost the election. Where does she go? She goes to Broadway performances. Well, she's been walking around the woods. <laughs> That's right. She's been to some dinners and the inauguration. Right. Right. She's done other things. But uh, she went to the theater and um, watched a, a play. Yeah. By the way, she's been to a couple. She, a while ago, yeah. she went to The Color Purple. Yep. And they cheered her. But this is some audio of her at a theater. I, I, um, I pulled up the wrong theater. But so just yeah. listen to the audio and then we'll talk. <laughs> that they love her. Still battling that cough, though. It's hard to kick. Um, she was at the uh, Broadway's In Transit. It's a mm. musical. And uh, she got there, by the way, In Transit in her van, mm. her black Ambu van. I think she had to see In Transit because she stood in the half-price ticket line to see Hamilton, but they were sold out. Yeah. Darn it. Hamilton. But um, reactions like that that's is huge. why she's rumored to be contemplating a run for the mayor of New York. Don't do it. Which, as you've pointed out, would be dumb because now she has to worry about garbage pickup yeah. and snow plows. And well, and on. now she's going to have to hold up a Punxsutawney Phil, New York's version. Right. Not the drop them. Sur- the uh, Surly Squirrel. Yeah. The, the, and you know now since uh, – who was it? De Blasio that dropped the 
the now every time the uh, yeah. the little vermin comes out of the hole, it has wearing a little helmet, <laughs> little arm pads. He's ready for <laughs> combat. Just in case we drop him. That's cool. I think he'll, that's really cool. Hillary deserves that. She remember she won three million. As we keep being told over and over and over again, sure. she won three million uh, more votes than wrong. Apparently, yeah. yeah. Apparently, that's wrong data. Wrong facts. There was a report out of Florida. Did you see that no. about the uh, the illegitimate votes out of Florida? Oh no, like we're, over we're... a hundred thousand. Okay, but so they were, they were illegitimate in the, in the sense that people wrote Mickey Mouse as for the president. They voted for the rest of it, but they right. just people at just a mass number of people just chose to not put down a legitimate candidate for president. Could you imagine just how happy out. this country would be if Mickey Mouse was the president? Um, yeah, be a happy the happiest place on earth. Wouldn't just be uh, relegated to Disneyland. Boy, so, so this isn't the. The fake votes or illegitimate votes that Trump was talking about. This is just oh. people choosing not to vote for president. Just, you know, Mickey Mouse. And so they toss in some random name or person or Wouldn't whoever. that have been hilarious if actually Mickey Mouse had won? Hmm? That would have been crazy. So if you remember, um, Terry brought up a few days ago Donald Trump, um, his doctor, the one uh, – Dr. Harold Bornstein made all this news, right? Because Harold Bornstein was the guy that, that – He's he's a kind of a he's an eccentric doctor, and he then wrote up the health review of Donald Trump's health and said he basically affirmed he's the healthiest man in the face of the earth. Here's I the, am the healthiest human ever known to man. Now that was actually just that wasn't a very good Donald Trump impression. No, that was me talking about me. Oh, I see. Yeah, that was years ago. Um, well, apparently. Donald Trump's doctor, you know, released the idea that he um, he's taking a drug for his hair, right, to help him grow his hair, Rogaine, basically what he's taking. But it is his real hair, apparently. And um, and he, by the way, his hair is getting blown all over the place at these airport receptions now. He's not wearing his hat. He's got he's the president of the United States. And so, I mean, it's really amazing. That, They're the amber waves of Rogaine. Yeah, that's beautiful. Put that to some music, maybe a flag, a barn. Look at oh, that'd be a beautiful commercial for Rogaine. Well, apparently he um, whatever the drug is that he's taking, um, it actually. One of the side effects is it makes him have uh, a runny nose. So many believe that's why he sniffles. He's got the sniffles all the time. See? Luckily, we were catching. Yeah. (laughs) There it is. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should be concerned about his health. No. Or at least the health of his hair. Right. I don't think you need to be. But... So everyone can relax. The sniffles are just because of maybe that. And it's just, you know, it's simple. Just a simple thing. Not a big deal. Not a big deal. Everyone can relax. Anyway, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about the chore wars, that war at home, about who does what, who wears the pants in the relationship, right? Do you just take the garbage out? Is that all you're supposed to do? Do we share the responsibilities at home? Stick with us. Interesting uh Interesting segment up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. 
Welcome back, friends. A little Chore Wars music for you. You know, who wears the pants in your relationship? Well, that's probably the wrong question. You should be asking who washes the pants, who does the dishes, who mows the lawn. You know, the average American spends over two hours doing chores every day. But how you divide those chores can have a profound impact on your relationship and, believe it or not, your career. Here to explain is Rebecca Shambaugh. She's the author of Harvard Business Review's article, the, Are Chore Wars at Home Holding You Back at Work? Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning. Great to be with you. This is a great topic, and uh, as a relationship coach that uh, that is constantly helping couples communicate through this uh the the home chore discussion it's it's not it's not usually fair distribution statistically um but i didn't realize how much it would be impacting work talk to us about well, chore wars yeah i didn't know that either until i my company and i decided to do a little more research on that coaching a lot of women um you know mostly in the you know working professionals um we found that they were doing sometimes spending twice as much time at work uh, and, at, and at home based on some of the, we call sticky floors, if you will. And so, uh, and what's complicated about this is now we're seeing many more dual house home income, you know, drivers in the household right. and women both doing this. So this is really a, a big issue. And talk about, you call it chore wars. Um, the, is, is, so there's obviously the battle, a battle about who's doing what work. Well, it's interesting. It's become a very interesting phenomenon, particularly in the United States versus countries even abroad where, um, you know, there are household chores that need to be done. And while men are picking up some of that in the household, women, again, are still doing just about twice as much of that. Right. So what happens is it becomes chore wars. Women will sometimes, not intentionally, but take on more, hold up the sky, if you will, and not ask for that support, not ask for that support, you know, or negotiate to, to really sort of divide and conquer, if you will. And there's a lot of my notion of being perfect. No one can do it better than me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know I've been that way sometimes, right, to uh, not wanting to, to, to really delegate, uh, making sure that um, we get it done just the right way we want. Or it's that loyalty. If I ask someone to do something to help me, gosh, well, that. Well, that torments a relationship. You know, I'll feel guilty not doing what I need to be doing, right? So it becomes a back and forth. And a lot of times it's failure to really have very fruitful, you know, constructive conversations between both the household managers, if you will, husband and wife, to really discuss this and put mm. these all on the table to make it fair and reasonable for everybody. And like you say, I mean, the women are are now working more and more uh, as well. So it's, I mean, it used to be, I'm assuming... There was that, uh, you know, if I'm going to go work, you stay home, you create the home, make a nice home, I'll go bring in the money, we'll create a balanced life. Now with everybody working more, uh, it doesn't seem like the men have picked up the other side of the the argument. In fact, I, I heard some research and read some research that when couples are dating, they actually share more of the household chores or when they're even cohabitating, they share more of the household chores. But when they get married, it, it goes back to that uneven distribution. It's almost like we, we take roles on. And uh, maybe that's right. what gets into some of the loyalty issues and the perfectionistic issues, the, re- the reluctance to delegate. Um, it, but tell me how it impacts work. I guess then uh, the women end up doing more of this at work as well. 
Well, it's interesting because women will actually spend more time at work, and the, some of these what we call sticky floors, the perfectionism, the loyalty, not setting boundaries, carries over in the professional sort of work environment. So we end up doing twice as much work, spending more hours at work, getting things right, that propensity for perfectionism, for the details, and no one else can really kind of do it better than me. And then the delegation ties into that. If we don't feel like people can meet the work up to our standards, we end up taking that our, and doing it on our own. Or the failure to really set boundaries. You know, I don't want to rock the boat or ask for things that I probably would really need. We'd be better for myself, the team, and the organization. Um, but we don't want to take advantage of the situation when, in essence, people really are looking upon us to say, I'm, I'm under-resourced. I need that help and support. Otherwise, things might fall through the cracks, right? Yeah. So I think that propensity for details, getting things right, feeling like we need to hold things on our shoulder and it's, you know, it, our responsibility. And at the end of the day, we need that oxygen has to really hold ourselves up. When, when men tend to, you know, they're pretty good about not raising their hand, right? And yeah. unless we ask them, but sometimes if you don't ask, you don't get. And that's that art of negotiating and thinking through. It's not about winning. It's about what's fair. Yeah, it's, it's, it is true. And, and if you don't have the conversation, um, the man might be sitting there thinking, well, why didn't you just ask? I mean, I'll do it if you ask. And then she's thinking, well, I asked and you never did it or you didn't do it this way. I guess is this a, is this a marriage issue? Is this a gender issue? Is it uh, a work issue or all of the above? Yeah, well, maybe it turns out to be all of the above, but I think where it's really rooted um, is in societal, you know, sort of, if you will, wiring where women have been traditionally yeah. running the household. And, and as you know, women are now going to be 80% of our workforce in the next five years. So there's a huge shift around who who really is doing the chores and who's really sort of, if you will, doing the work. And I think a lot of women now are shifting more into that workforce uh, sort of managerial leadership role. So, but I think a lot of this is rooted, um, if I just look at, you know, coaching women for so long in our own narrative, right? right. Um, the whole propensity of even the household chores have to get everything just right. And we coach so many women, move beyond perfectionism and embrace good enough. Because you won't leave time for quality family times. You won't leave time for yourself. And you won't leave time to really be the best you can be back in your own work environment. So I think a lot of this is rooted in our own belief systems that we have to do it all, <laughs> yeah. that we have to be perfect to be approved. Um, and, and sometimes that oper- we operate in, in no boundaries at all and in that gray zone. And so everything comes back to us, right, because we fail to ask for things that we need support in. And so that, that is failure that, that gets into our own narrative. So I, we encourage women as we coach them to really think about when you're continuing to feel like you're just on a rack and you don't feel like you have any energy or you're just overwhelmed or you feel like this is just not fair, I invite us to really think about our own narrative inside that voice that could be sabotaging us. Mm. And it could be that, well, it's because I, no one can do it better than me. Well, you know what? It may not be, but it's almost like pick the right battles to win the right war. Does it really matter how well one loads the dishwasher? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's the age old issue, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and again, and I think a really important message that men should be as they're hearing this, they could be like, yeah, just ask me. <laughs> but men could also just step up. I mean, this isn't this isn't, you know, the 70s or the 60s or the 50s or the 40s anymore. Step up. It's time that we carry the burden and the load together. I mean, and the, well, and the, and know, the burden your wife or might be feeling, your spouse could be feeling. 
is incredible if she needs to be perfect and go to work and make sure the kids are still reading their books and, I mean, step up. Well, I think it starts with just starting to have the conversation. And sometimes women shy away from this. Sometimes men just aren't aware. Yeah. But I think if, you know, you can sit down at the kitchen table and just say, here's everything that we have responsible, respons- responsible for. How can we set a plan so we can divide and conquer and making sure we're all, you know, achieving what's important to us from the family, from our work professional goals, and really just start the conversation. To your point, you're right. Uh, men need to be more cognizant of sometimes our own sticky force as women and how we can self-defeat ourselves, which directly impacts the relationship, yeah. impacts the family. So taking a role to see that they can help to make things possible and to make things better in the overall sort of family well-being and also for their professional well-being. Is there – I mean some of this – I was raised by four women, my mom and my three sisters, and I saw it with my mom. My parents were divorced. She had to go to work, but she was torn because she – she also was so driven and wanting to be a good mom that was there and attentive and doing everything and coming to my classes, but she had to make a living for the family. I, I mean, I, I'm assuming part of their feeling torn is and the sticky floor is they want to they want to succeed as a mom and they want to succeed as a professional. Yeah, and you know, I, I agree. They they really do. And and women like your mother, my mother, were very high. They're high achievers, right? And yeah. they want to they want to do all they can and serve in very multi-purpose roles. And that's a very already research has said that women serve in much more multi-dimensional roles than men. And that's been a societal shift. But now we're seeing that shift. And and kind of what worked in the past may not necessarily work in the future. So I think. We all need to wake up to the fact that it's a, it's a great thing, well, the, the era that we're in, that women are moving further into the workforce. They're taking more responsible roles, right? They're helping to, to drive better business results, helping to empower their teams to be successful, right? And, and so that, that's a huge shift. So I think it's now recalibrating and rebalancing, you know, all of the, the, the work that we're doing together as a family and household, yeah. you know, activities. And I think... Women need to wake up to the fact if they are going to be taking on more of these roles, they have to examine their own narrative and belief system and move beyond the, you know, the, the perfectionism and realizing if you want to hold on to the job and you want to hold on to the household, something has to give, right? And it's, it's all about compromise. And sometimes it's about embracing good enough. It's being willing to sit down and have that conversation and, and make those asks, not only in the household, but also at work, you know, having the courage to ask for additional resources. And I think the other key message here for we as women is to not ask for that permission. Don't wait to have to get permission yeah. to sit down and have that conversation. Champion that. Own that. Because if you don't, it's detrimental to yourself and others around you. Oh, yeah. And and the powerful thing is, too, just having the conversation, it will ch- it will change. It has the potential to change the meaning of, of a lot of this, but, but also open up ideas and then brainstorm because – there are other ways, too. If you are making more money as a combined income, maybe there are ways to hire people. There are ways to outsource certain parts of, of things so you can still get a high level of quality without – but, you know, you pay for it, and that might be worth it. You know, you know just to start, being very practical, just there's the – I did a recent HDR article on our chore wars at home holding you back at work in January. Just just send your, 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 um, your housemate a uh, partner the article, and that will – yeah. naturally stir the conversation, right? So it, there, there are different ways to start something that's a very uncomfortable, emotionally charged conversation. Right, right. right. I mean, and too, I mean, 
many ways we're partners that and we don't even we don't even begin to utilize the full partnership uh, simply because of our expectations like you're talking about our assumptions of how things should be that we we opt not to communicate because it it hasn't gone well in the past but another thing is learn how to communicate if you really struggle with the division of labor uh with your spouse or your partner um you got to learn to communicate through it. We're speaking um, with Rebecca Shambaugh, and if you go to her website, shambaughleadership.com, a great resource there. We'll take a break, come back, continue the discussion for how we, uh, how we manage chore wars and how our, our paradigms, our views, our partnering at home with our chores, how it impacts your work. It's, it's, uh, there's a deep connection there. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger and lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little chore war music for you. Our guest uh, is Becky Shambaugh. She is the head of ShambaughLeadership.com and um, is uh, is internationally recognized leadership expert, author, keynote speaker, a global development. Uh, her organization is a global leadership development organization. She also um, is is a, a writer and author and has written uh, many, many articles and books including it's not a glass ceiling, it's a sticky floor. What other habits do women um, often have that sabotage their careers? Becky Shambaugh, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Good to be back. This is a fun um, lesson, I think, for all of us. And again, I I can't – this was in Harvard Business Review. This is a real issue. And as we move forward, and I didn't realize, 80% of the workforce is going to be women? Women and minorities stepping in in the next uh, five years. So, and, and if you look at just the global economy, um, national economy, 80% of the consumers right now are women. So yeah. there's a major shift, right? And I think it's just there's a lot of shifts going on right now, Matt. So we all know. But I think it's also reexamining our leadership models, reexamining the demographics. And you know, a lot of our clients are trying to figure out how can they attract and retain and create the right cultures and workforce policies to retain and keep the new generation of, of leaders. And, and, you know, this whole chore wars, the work life is a real key issue, particularly for that next generation uh, coming in. And a lot more joint household, husband and wife out there working. So this is a real critical issue that's emerging for, and it's very prevalent within a lot of households. And yeah. particularly women are feeling like they're, you know, they're, they're kind of up against a wall right now with, with the dual household issue. Talk about one of your rules that you were suggesting um, is to to negotiate for fair, not even. I mean, a lot of times we think it's got to be 50-50, but you've mentioned in your article the research doesn't say that that's necessarily healthy, the 50-50. Well, I think sometimes we hold ourselves back from not negotiating, asking for something because we think we're taking advantage of something. We're rocking the boat um, and... So I, I think if we go into this knowing that, um, you know, even though we really find it easy to to, dig up, to, to, to negotiate, um, think about if you had to do it all and you never asked, yeah. right? Then right. that's the state that you will be in forever, and that, and that's not sustainable. And I think those people that think they're superwoman um, think, well, I can do it all. But research does show, and our research also shows, 
that when you try to do it all, you fail to delegate, ask for those resources, support, your effectiveness, your well-being declines because you're overtasked. And yeah. we've seen that. It's a higher level of stress that we're seeing emerging in a lot of the leaders uh, from the early sort of emerging le- career areas to the senior executives because they're holding on to so much more. So we have to be much more vigilant and intentional to really plan out what we're doing and really making sure that we are owning and championing our own sort of well-being and those around us. Mm-hmm. So it, the fact of the matter is that, you know, it's, it's when you're asking for something, it's not about winning. In, in this matter, it's about looking at what's fair. And, and I think sometimes going into a, an ask or negotiating with your spouse or even at the work environment, just saying that this would be extremely, uh, you know, a, a huge for me, a, a life-changing ask if you would, you know, somehow um, be willing to take on some of these other additional responsibilities. Um, it would be life-changing for me, mm. right? And so sometimes they're just not even aware right. of the struggles, right? And, and, and so I think you go into it and say, no one's going to win here. It's all about what we can do that's fair, and, and I think it's also articulating in that conversation, if we can share some of these together, here is my goal, but I think we can have a much healthier, sort of more well-being, sort of life together, family time, and it also allow me to achieve my work goals, which fuels back to our overall well-being as a family. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the reasons fair is probably better than, than even is um, fair might be there. I might have my identity around one of the jobs in the house, like um, cooking dinner. And it might be a part I grew up and my dad was a chef and I want to be a part of cooking in the kitchen. And I mean, 50-50 would be we both cook and we both clean up. But in reality, Mm -hmm. if my identity is part of it and it's important to me or it's important to me to go out and mow the lawn and I want to mow the lawn and that's the yard's part of my identity – we, we can make it fair and give everybody what they want, what they need. And then there's the things nobody wants to do, right? Like the, the laundry, the toilets, whatever. But I found when I coach couples, there's easy ways to resolve some of that. But you have to talk and, and identify these are the jobs none of us want. And I always teach if you can't solve it by talking, then just flip a coin. And this week I'll do the toilets. This week you do the floors. And we just That's flip. Right. Co- and if you make it random, it's not about a battle of – you know, who's who's providing or who's not. It's just a it's just we're getting it done together. Well, yeah, and I think sometimes it is flipping the coin, but finding out where people's, you know, interests or strengths or passion right. are, right? And and maybe it is the cooking. Maybe maybe some people it is about you know, washing or doing some outdoor yard work or whatever and and taking it from that place, right? Um and then sometimes, you know, there are that middle road areas and Consider outsourcing. You know, that's the yeah. other thing is uh, if you have the wherewithal, the means is to, you know, sort of have somebody else join you as your team to do some of that outsourcing. Yeah. And what a great and, and kind of get rid of the guilt or the shame or whatever it is that that makes you I guess that's the sticky floor. Right. I, you know, a good mom wouldn't outsource cleaning. Um, but in reality, get over it if you can. And all of a sudden you've just bought yourself many, many hours a day. Well, yeah, you know, we always look at this, Matt, right? It's, it's a, outsourcing the cleaning, outsourcing the ironing sometimes is a means to an end to an, a more important value or priority in your right. life is family time, right? It is, is maybe it's taking care of your parents who are elderly that gives you that more space that someday you will regret 
if you don't give yourself that that space mm-hmm. to do the things that are that are more priority in the, in nature. So to me, this is all about prioritization and compromise, and then the wherewithal. What are the means that we have to achieve what we have to achieve? Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's it's more about as we started off sitting down and having that will be initially a difficult conversation, um, but approaching it in such a way that. Our goal is to really make sure what we have a healthy family that we're there for each other, and um, here's I think what we need to really address, and perhaps to find the best equation for us over the next course of the couple of years, right? So, let's all jump in and see what we can do to make this happen for ourselves. Versus, I, I'm the victim, you know. Um, gosh, this is not working for me. I really feel tired. I'm not going to be able to get those Friday night dinners cooked in time. I feel so bad. It's starting off in the place. It's a common goal, a common ground for each other. And yeah. I think that's, you know, the best way for people to open up and receive, receive you and to receive that this conversation a little bit more productively. Yeah, I love that. Um, it, and I guess, too, one of the things that I see is at some point, too, we need to just be able to relax. I've, I've found times where if, you know, the more I support, the more I do for my wife, I notice the more she still doesn't relax. She just keeps adding more to the list, right? And because she's got goals, she's got dreams, she's got – and there just comes a point where we – we if we can buy us some space and we finally get the space not to keep adding more pressure. Does that make sense? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and maybe that goes back to the sticky floor, the need oh, for perfection. Yeah. But it's – let's just – let's just not – tonight, let's just relax. <laughs> And just be home and be a family or be a couple instead of, you know, adding the next thing that we could do. Well, yeah. And there's also some interesting neuroscience coming out in the, the airways through which I'm around leadership. And, and women do have more oxygen in their brain. There's east-west highways. That, and it's really sometimes hard for women uh, to shut down. And, and so sometimes we coach women on brain health, right, is to – I think men are, men are much easier to, to shut down – Mm. Day is, I'm done with my work. Now I'm just going to, you know, be with the family, yeah, the veg, couch, yeah. watch TV. But it's sometimes very difficult for women um, because they're, they're, they continue to process, and it's just really hard to shut down. So I think we have to work even a little bit more, more you know, to, to making sure we give ourselves that healthy time yeah. to recharge, to whether that's taking yoga, whether that's sitting out with the family, taking walks. Um, just to really give ourselves that rest that we need and repair, <laughs> re-energizing. Right. No, I think you're right on. Talk to me uh, just because I have you here on the phone. This is I think you could add so much insight to us. Um, You are the founder of Women in Leadership and Learning. And um, there was a huge movement in Washington, D.C., where women at, at numbers I don't ever remember. I don't remember well the the women's rights era. Right. And I don't and I don't remember. Um, I don't remember this many women gathering in a collective and a community, sharing a voice for, with disparate needs, disparate desires and goals and dreams. Um, but to me, that was pretty amazing. What what are what were we seeing there? Right. Well, you're right. This was set historical records. Yeah. For the largest march, although it ended up being a walk or a stand because there's so yeah, many people stuck. Right? Everyone in every was major packed. metropolitan city. But, but I think a couple things, Matt, and thank you for asking this. I, I, I've just gotten so many emails responding to my blogs and such on this, but I think it's, there is a, it was very calm, but I think there's a major shift in terms of the energy that's happening around us 
Uh, I think you could say it's a movement for women to have a voice, but I think it's much bigger than that. I mm. think it's much more about people are concerned about, you know, the days ahead, whoever's in office, um, and they want to be peaceful about it. Um, but I think this is was huge a huge opportunity for women to come out versus sitting on the TV and watching the parade go by. Yeah, They wanted to get involved, and it's been years, decades, since they've really felt like it's time for me to get involved. In some way, it was their voice right. that was showing up to say, it's not just about women, but it's what's making sure that we really embody the values and principles of our country and our world and making sure that we all have a voice that can be on deck, that mm-hmm. we all have our rights that will be protected, um, and then that we all sort of in, in all aspects of society and workforce cultures and so forth, need to be inclusive, right? And I think that's the key message of the 21st century, locally, nationally, and abroad, is how do we cre- create that inclusive culture and mindset? So, here, you know, I, so I think it was a huge effort for a, a message out there for women. But, but, you know, here's, Matthew, my take on this. Um, I, I, while it was, I don't know if it was necessarily anything that was, changing the, the way things yeah. are happening. But now to me that set the tone and opened up the door and gave women permission now to come out and not just walk on the street, but to really take a role. Right. And right. To really champion this and, and start to see their leadership showing up in every aspect of every room of every meeting and every conversation around not just about why me, where are women, why are they not here, but more about helping them to see their role as to change see the change that they want to see. Yeah. So I think some of the things that we can do as I say leaders who are women, not women, but we are leaders. Right. And we have to realize and use our power and not ask for permission to do that. So some things that we can do is amplify other women. Yeah, so instead of putting each other judging, yeah. Amplify. Find the light on them. Watch your language. You know, watch our own biases with other women because that can be very damaging. And begin to see our role as helping other women getting their voice out there, making sure now that it's not just 10% of women in a boardroom or an executive committee, but 30%. And then when you have 30%, in the next couple of years, it'll be 50%. So what I mean by that, if you're the only woman on the executive committee or in a senior leadership team, every opportunity that you have a seat that's open, sure, you want to find the most qualified candidate. But if you have two equal people, a man and a woman, that are qualified, pick the woman. Yeah. Until we find that balance of 30% and then 50%. So that's what I mean by amplifying. I think it's also looking within and, and not asking for permission to speak up, to say something you think is important. And I think indirectly this, this march was a part of that. And when you see something, Matt, this is very important. When you see something that's a bias, when you see someone who is simply spoke up and it was a woman and no one listened to her idea and somebody else stole the idea, which was Joe around the corner of that conference room. See something. Wait a minute. Paula just had a great idea. And I think Steve just paraphrased this. So I think, you know, Paul, let's go back. This conversation is really going to be, you know, this, this was, you know, originated from, from your voice, from your perspective, right? And I think you've done the research on this. So, um, you know, just I think sometimes we're not aware right. of some of our hardwired, if you will, assumptions and biases here. And unless women begin to call these out, you know, just constructively and respectfully, then I, you know, we've been trying for years yeah. to, to find that balance and move beyond these biases. But I think women are reading the writing on the wall. They need to take a little bit more ownership on this 
And um, and I, is it fair? No, I think we all organizations, men and women, should do it, have an equal say in that. Right. But I think what's missing is women need to find their power and start showing up with that. No, I totally agree, Becky. Appreciate your time. I mean, every one of those principles you were talking about, looking within, amplifying women, you know, helping support that voice. That's something men can do as well. And uh, there's power, folks, when we're all rising together. We need everyone's voice. We need everyone's eyes to, to make it through this crazy time. Stick with us, folks. Uh, that uh, Go check out Becky's website, ShambaughLeadership.com. ShambaughLeadership.com. And again, uh, her book, um, It's Not a Glass Ceiling, It's a Sticky Floor. Great stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. The friend zone is defined as a situation in which a friendship exists between two people, one of whom has an unreciprocated romantic interest in the other. It can be a tough place for the guy who wants more out of the relationship than just being a friend. Producer Leanna Tan interviews one of her friends to provide a deeper look into the friend zone. In honor of Valentine's Day coming up just around the corner, I've decided to do a series of tangents on relationships. I decided to talk on a phenomenon that is plaguing the nation, the friend zone. And in order to get the inside scoop, I brought in none other than my friend Josh Zushi, also known as the friend zone king. So Josh, explain to me what this is all about. What does the friend zone king even mean? How did you get that name? Basically, I literally just get friend zoned all the time. I guess I'm really good at it. So what is the friend zone? Practically your worst nightmare. It's basically when you like someone, but there's no chance that they're going to like you back. And so they kind of keep you in this little box that you're not leaving. How do you know as a guy when you're in the friend zone? Well, the most blatant sign is you're such a good friend or you're one of my best friends. So using the actual word? Actually using the word friend, or usually when they like talk to you about other guys that they're trying to date or things like that, as well as they like hang out with you, but they want to hang out in like groups. You have to realize that before you get put in the friend zone, you have to have like a friendship. For like strangers or for acquaintances that you don't really know that well, they wouldn't necessarily be put in the friend zone. When was the last time you got friend zoned? It was actually on Saturday. Oh, how'd you know? She literally just said, I only think of you as a friend. Oh. So how do you cope with the negative side of the friend zone? How do you cope with girls talking about other guys? Well, if they ask for advice, I just give them horrible advice. I don't know. It's kind of nice though because once you get put in a friend zone, it's almost like a safe zone. You can move on and find someone else that could potentially put you in the friend zone. Have you ever friend zoned somebody else? Yes. How do you make that clear as a guy to a girl if you're inviting her to something and you're trying to say, like, I'm not doing this in a romantic way? It'd probably be like, bring your attractive roommates. So you think that you can still enjoy spending time with a person even though you have those feelings and know that they don't have those for you? Oh, most definitely. You just have to 
value that friendship a lot more than you know, your own like feelings or things like that. I guess the question ultimately is, is there a way out? I think the people that keep trying to get out of the friend zone can't accept that they're in the friend zone. They're in denial. The times that I have gotten out of the friend zone, I don't know, I think it was a straight miracle because it took years and a lot of patience, but it happened. Like I didn't do anything different. So I don't really know what happened. They put you in the friend zone. They're the only ones that can get you out. So it really is like a stuck in the mud position. It's more like cement or quicksand. I actually have high hopes for the friend zone. I think that it could be a good thing because I know a lot of times people get really nervous with all the pressure of dating and of expectations of a relationship that once they friend zone the person, then they can see them in a different light. They can see them without any expectations, without any pressure, and they can get to know them as a friend. And I think sometimes friendship is the first step of a relationship. And so I do think that there's a way out of the friend zone. Not always. I mean, don't get your hopes up. I'm just saying. So friend zone king, what advice do you have for other people in your same situation? Don't be an idiot. Like, be polite, be nice. Don't play the woe is me like why why don't you like me kind of a thing just accept it and who knows they may have friends or roommates or cousins that they could set you up with and if you didn't have like a good relationship with them in the friend zone they wouldn't want to set you up with them i mean that's one of the benefits because it opens opportunities or doors or whatever to have other relationships that you normally wouldn't have if you weren't ever in the friend zone i mean there's always still a chance but don't get your hopes up Well, you heard him. Don't get your hopes up and just accept it. Wise words from a seasoned friend zoner. Don't worry, the friend zone isn't all that bad a place to be. It's full of nice guys, random shopping trips, and cute, cuddly conversations. Good luck and be kind, everyone. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy, happy Friday to you, and also happy Carrot Cake Day. That cake that they serve you at every wedding. Ah. Oh. The nuts. I'm not into the nuts, but uh, carrot cake. I'll take five servings every day. Is that bad? Probably. Plus cream cheese, so I get the milk, I get the dairy. Well, yeah. Cream cheese topping. A version of it. This sounds like those pizza vegetables that, that try to convince you that pizza is healthy. Well, it's yeah. It's got vegetables on it. <laughs> you, you, yeah. I don't get your point. Right. <clears throat> well, it's got fruit because you got the tomato sauce. Yeah. You've got your meat. You've got your meat. You've got your you got flour your and eggs. Yeah. And yeast. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's healthy. It's health food. It does dough, a body good. Dough enhancer. That's I think that's one of the food groups, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> dough. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday. This is the Friday before Super Bowl Sunday. We're trying to get you ahead of the game. You're going to want to get your snacks, your treats mm. uh, ready. I'd probably go tonight. I wouldn't wait for the rush of Saturday. Because that'll be crazy. Or go early Saturday, like I Yeah, do. You, you always go early Saturday. You Actually, you take the whole family. By the way, if you want to have the best snacks ever at Costco, go Super Bowl weekend. That's when they pull out all the snacks. Really? 
Oh, yeah. Snackorama. So that means there's no way to get around the store because everyone's lining up. Right. For the Chips, snacks, tamales, right those little mini tacos, they've got them all. Do you, so do you like, for, do you always stop at each one of the no. vendors and let the lady, you know, make you a little meatball sandwich? Not, not a sheep. I've never seen people move so fast as when somebody pulls something out of that little mini oven. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. So I saw a lady lose her arm there once. People fighting for a little, when, you know, when, when barbecue to, wiener. When we go to Costco, we avoid the main aisles. We go down the back that corner's perimeter of the store because nobody's there. Nice. You just cut down those aisles. That's where you get around the store because you go down the main aisle. See, now you're everyone stopped. But you're giving the secret away. Well, not really. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny. The other day you mentioned uh, in the grocery store, you yep. shop the perimeter of the grocery store to be healthy. Yes. That doesn't really work in Costco. That's like the yeah. most expensive section. That's of where the they store. keep like the fluorescent lights. Yeah. yeah. All the business. All the electronics. Do you guys have, I have weird shame taking food from somebody that I know I won't buy. Really? You yeah. feel like you're obligated? Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a contract made between huh. me and the lady with the hairnet, you realize, if she gives me one, I probably ought to buy a right. box. They don't represent that company. No, I know. They work for Costco. I okay. But I feel like I'm using them. And so I can't do that with a good heart. My kids can. My wife totally can. But their paycheck isn't dependent on whether or not you purchase yeah. that product. But you look in their eyes. <laughs> now, Just look in their eyes. Those other people, like the Blendtec or the Ninja Blender per- yeah. people... They're they're on commission and they're really ninjas. So don't take those don't take those samples. <laughs> take all the others. Keep your hands off that ninja. Okay, we're going to talk. Uh, you know more. We won't talk probably more Costco, no, but we not. will be talking Super Bowl coming up as well as movies with Rod Gustafson. He's got some uh, movies you're going to want to see. Some out on DVD and some that uh, just are in the movie theaters. By the way, Terry, what is your favorite football movie? Favorite football movie. Oh, wow. Remember the Titans. Oh, yeah. I don't sure. remember. That's it's a good mine. movie. You don't remember them? No. Great, great. People. Little Giants? No. no. With Rick Moranis and no, Al Bundy, be, Ed that, O'Neill? That would no. be a remember dumb, the Titans. A dumb or football movie. Or We Are Marshall. Yeah, yeah. That was good. It's a good one. Or Rudy. Yeah. Rudy. Rudy. When I, Rudy. When I, when I was a high, in high school, it was a show called The Program, which got a lot of uh, problems to it. Really? It just it was really a bad movie. But there was one point where people were trying to be extreme, so they'd lay down in the lane of traffic right on the, the center dividing line. <laughs> really? And people did that, and they got hurt. Yeah, that's not Cars smart. Cars hit them. So Yeah, let's not do that. That, that was something they came into the, the locker room and told us not to do, and everyone's like, oh, come on. We're <laughs> come on, man. Tonight. I was just doing it. <laughs> we're going to lay down in traffic. Yeah, uh, we got a lot to talk about. And it's just really, it's only one more hour. This is the last right. hour of the week. So- Focus, boys. And then we get Monday off, right? Because there's that new law that we get the day after Super Bowl off. Just no. if you work for the Heinz company. That was us hoping. That was... I, I purchase Heinz. You don't so work I, for them, I'm though. an extension of nope. their nope. family. Not yet. Not right? yet. Mm. They no. probably appreciate your patronage, but no. Do you, do you know Uncle John Kerry? He's I know, married. I know he's married. Kerry. He's just married to the family. He married not, the heir yeah. of the Heinz fortune. Right. I think the amount of ketchup that we use, we should be entitled. <laughs> I should have stock. Anticipation. Do you remember that commercial? About 
Heinz, because it's so thick it takes oh. forever to get out. Just a squeeze bottle fixes that problem, right? Where do wow. you like to hit the 57s? Or where do you like to hit the ketchup bottle, by the way, to get the ketchup out? Or do I like to hit it? I mm-hmm. don't. I want a squeezable bottle do always. You, do the knife? No. Do you shake it? No. Uh-uh. I, I There's hear a point. If you hit, not worth it anymore. If you hit yeah. the 57s on the side of the bottle, the ketchup will come Okay, out. answer me this. What do I have to do to make it so my first squirt of mustard isn't a little water squirt? Mm. Shake it up. The mustard, those, the mustard nothing, juice? Nothing ruins the day more than the the mustard. Yeah. Just you shake always it up. shake it up. You got to shake it. Yeah, I, I think that's what that Taylor Swift song is about. Could be. Somebody ought to tell my butler. Shake it up. Jeeves. Jeeves. Shake it. <laughs> shake it. I thought his name was Joffrey. Could yeah, that be. was my old one. Got rid of him because of the... The immigration order, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ever since Trump came in, I'm losing everybody. He visited, like, Iran or something. Had to go home. Yeah, he didn't. So sad. So we'll get to all that fun. Super Bowl plus Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. We'll also see if we can get a you know pick of who they think is going to win the Super Game. I'm not sure we can say Super. We're not profiting off it. Yeah, go yeah. ahead and say it. Yeah, we don't profit. If you try to you know give away a car or something, yeah. then you're going to have a problem. Super serial receptacle. <laughs> yes. Uh, plus, we'll do a little hero story. All that ahead, folks. But first, to Terry South with the headlines. Terry? White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus seems is back, apparently. He's back. Time, Time White Magazine reported Thursday that after weeks of President Trump's chief strategist Stephen Bannon reigning supreme, the president has instructed Priebus to, quote, enforce more orderly lines of authority and communication from now on. According to senior administration officials, Trump hauled in some half dozen of his key advisors for a brisk dressing down. Everything goes through Chief of Staff Reince Priebus, he directed. Nothing flows that hasn't been uh, scheduled by his deputy, Kate Walsh, or Katie Walsh. There you go. You're going to see probably a slower, more deliberative process, one official told Time. Uh, apparently, Time reported the chaos and confusion that has erupted during Trump's first week under Bannon's direction has rattled the West Wing and perhaps even dismayed the president. Did you hear what everyone said after this was announced? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Organization. Give us <laughs> some sort of hint of it. That's it's what you're asking about for time. The company behind Snapchat has filed for what could be one of the largest tech IPOs in years, the AP reports. Snap Inc. said Thursday that it's seeking up to $3 billion in an initial public offering, a figure that could shift based on investor demands. The app has millions of users. Snap has built a thriving ad business on that. But the company has also made a lot of money, nearly $900 million disappear in the past two years. Wow. According to IPO documents, Snap has a revenue of $404 million in 2016, up from $58 million in 2015. Wow. So they went from 58 to $404 million in a year. <laughs> they also spent $900 million. Okay, you got you to spend money to make money, but now they're going to have an IPO of three bill? Right. That could be valued at as much as twenty five billion by the time it's over, you know they, you know, these once you actually are, purchase yeah, all the stock, these guys are going to be huge. Uh, so money, money, money. Uh, Ivanka Trump weighed into politics Thursday evening for the first time since her father's inauguration, hosting a dinner party with business executives to discuss promoting women in the workforce. This, according hmm. to Politico, the heads of Walmart, General, General Motors, Johnson and Johnson, J.P. Morgan. Trump's head of the National Economic Council, Gary Cohen, who's a former Goldman Sachs partner, and advisor Dana Powell were all in attendance at this meeting. Following news that Nordstrom had uh, canceled their contract with Ivanka Trump to carry her clothing line, yeah. which wasn't selling well. Hmm. So, 
Um, and finally, yes, blue laws. Yeah, blue laws. Are, as this says here, an artifact of an earlier era, state and local rules that prohibit stores from being open at certain times, usually on Sunday, or selling a certain product, usually alcohol, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. They're called blue laws because in the 17th century, they were written on blue paper. Oh. I looked that up. To so blue out laws are coming, they're, they're coming back, and I guess they're being dealt with now. They're being they're, swept they're out. They're seen as being old, out of date, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hearkening back to a, yeah. a simpler time, possibly. In Minnesota, for example, it's illegal to buy a bottle of alcohol on Sundays, though you can still order a drink at a restaurant. Yeah. Right? So the laws like that. North Dakota has blue laws also, but there is a movement to repeal them. That effort is narrowly stymied in the state legislature this week after debate which included lawmakers remarking the laws should stay to promote good wifely behavior. Oh, brother. Yeah. Sunday morning should be used for, quote, spending time with your wife and your husband, making him breakfast bringing it to him in bed, and then after that, take your kids for a walk. You know what? <laughs> try, try telling that to your wife. That's uh, it's a law. It's the law. It's the blue law. North Dakota State Representative Bernie Sandstrom, uh, his uh, comments were part of a broader list of ideas for things for <laughs> North Dakotans can do on Sunday morning if they yeah. don't want to go to church. Well, just go to church. But you can't legally work because the stores are yeah, closed. Yeah. So. Right. Uh, another blue law that I thought I'm glad they finally repealed was <laughs> you can't park your – or parallel park your oxen cart on Main Street anymore. Nice. That's good. You know? Get rid of that one. Sick of the oxen. It's pretty tough. Did you hear the good news about um, – so that the Super Bowl is in Houston. Yes. And uh, it's, they have a very – Deep in the heart of Texas. It's more of the boot, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be having uh, the heart technically show, would be... show tunes all day. The heart, Texas. I believe, is Abilene, is the center of Texas. You would know. You lived there, there for, for two years. six months. I spent a I spent a night there one year. Then I left, and the, apartment, year there one the apartment building burned down on the news. Really? Yeah, it was great. Um, there's a very special guest that will be tossing the coin at the Super Bowl. Ooh, ooh, who is it? Who is it? Trump? <gasps> no. Mm. Very, very, very special guest, George Herbert Walker Bush. Oh, yeah, I read this yesterday. Who last week was in the hospital and now will be tossing the coin. He awesome. will be on hand because Houston is his hometown, and they're probably going to, he's going to get out there and toss that coin. So he's going to roll himself out there? and Well, he'll probably have people. He was in the intensive care unit just a few days ago. Right. How cool is that? Good for him. I love him. And I love, I mean, politics aside, just good people. We've had, we've had some really good people as president. Very noble, honorable, wonderful, decent people. You mean we have? We have. No, like we currently have. Well, we currently have a president that's still president. So after we will then talk about him in past tense. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure he's a good, honorable, decent person. But uh, as far as uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, he'll be doing the coin toss. But what they also have found is in retrospect, presidents get better they the look further so much they're better. not president yeah. anymore. Yeah. The less political they become. People have a better version, a better view of uh, George. Uh, George w- Bush, W. Bush. W. Yeah. After he's not president anymore. Oh, yeah, he was a nice oh, guy. Nancy Pelosi said he was a fantastic president. Yeah, there you go. So they have better a better Does view of that person. Does she not remember what yeah. was going on back then? So congrats to him, and our prayers go to the forty first president. What a guy! Um, 
Also, by the way, we, we do want to get this out there. Um, if, if you are a golfer, mm. stick with us because this is important news. Um, a golfer faced a bizarre hazard at a seaside course when she was charged by a cow on a fairway. Mm. The amateur player was knocked down by the straying animal, which then ran off, leaving her in agony on the ground. Look, oh, we have audio from the scene. Wow. Crazy. Local politicians are demanding action. We demand action to control the straying cattle on the land around one of Britain's most picturesque courses. The woman in her 60s was badly shaken and suffered bruised ribs in the incident at the Pennard Golf Course in Gower. Wow. Other golfers rushed to her aid and helped her to the clubhouse where she was treated by staff, the injured so, woman. you have water hazards. Yeah. You have the sand traps. Sand traps, hard, hard. And hard. now you have livestock. Yeah. Which I think is a great addition. In get Florida, the bovine hazard. Mm-hmm. Florida, they have, what, alligators? Yeah. So. I mean, do you want a competitive game or what? <laughs> like, if you, like, what they ought to do, in Texas, I'm pretty sure I've seen it, that they have, like, a big longhorn what are they, steer or whatever, yeah. just sitting out there, and you got to get by it. You just better pray you don't hit the ball near it. It turns into miniature golf, right? Yeah. Just don't hit it in the steer's mouth. <laughs> You're like, hey, Larry, keep his attention. Keep his attention. <laughs> You're trying to hit a five iron behind him. Hmm. Anyway, boy, that's scary. It's a tremendous golf course with lots of hazards, but straying animals shouldn't be one of them. This is true. I totally, I couldn't agree more. It, they're not included in the, you know, rules of golf, the gentlemanly rules of golf. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What what happens if your ball lands in like a cow pie? Well, it depends. You've got to play it where it lies. Is it a natural impediment or is it a... Pretty like, natural. Okay. If it's stuck, because like, like if it's like a blade of grass that's that's yeah. not attached to anything, yeah, you, you can, can remove it. You can remove it. Yeah. So if it's a cow pie, well, I mean, really, how dedicated are you to your game? This is where you want a caddy. Can yeah. you imagine the back spray when you're trying to hit that out of the cow pile? Oh, wow. Wow. Did you see that guy's divot? That was not a divot. <laughs> that I'm was not a cow pie. Not replacing that. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Ruining the golf. Ruining the game. Well, uh, we'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're talking movies because it's Friday. That means it's the time to go hit the theaters or to uh, download something from Netflix. Rod Gustafson, up next from Parent Preview. Stick with us. BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's movie time. It's Friday. Time to get to the movies. Who better to help us with that than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Parent Previews, they are film critics specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. That way you know what you're looking at. You know you know what you could tell your kids, should you take them or not. Rod Gustafson joins us. How are you, Rod? Hello, how are you doing good, today, Matt? Good, good to have you on the show. Jeff Simpson's here with us as well. Jeff is nobody loves movies second to you, of course, uh, Rod. <laughs> no, nobody. Jeff, Jeff loves movies, I think, even more than I do. Someday, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're probably tired. You're probably tired <laughs> of movies. Um, Jeff, uh, Jeff is joining us because. He's got some opinions. Well, Rod, I'm just wondering if you like this new movie, The Space Between Us, more than most of the other critics out there. Uh, you know what, Jeff? I actually I behaved myself. haven't really checked what the other critics are saying about this, but I doubt they are really liking it. And in fact, it was it was really on the line for me as well. Um, 
I, I really didn't know what to expect coming into this movie. This is a story about a boy who is born on Mars. And um, it, it, first of all, it's a sci-fi. And so when you get a sci-fi, I think if there's ever a movie genre that is vulnerable to plot holes and, and things that just don't make sense, it's a sci-fi. And this one's got a lot of things that don't make sense. Like, why was he born on Mars? Well, his mother was the lead astronaut on the first um, of the first mission to Mars, these inhabitants that are going to go and actually live on Mars. And she wow. gets into space and discovers she's pregnant. Now, I mean, really? <laughs> You're leaving to go to Mars and, um, you know, I okay, it's BYU radio, we're going to behave. But come on, like, yeah. that was a dumb thing to do. Focus! So, you know, lots of that in this movie. <laughs> so are there scientists out there that go to this movie with with uh, a checkboard that are just crossing? Oh, that couldn't happen. Nope, yep, that, not, not even real, close. Not real, not <laughs> real. Well, I'm no scientist, and I crossed a few things off on my checklist. Like, for example, so he winds up, his mother dies giving birth to him, and he winds up being raised by the other astronauts Spoiler alert. Mars. Yeah, spoiler alert. Well, <laughs> yeah, that happens in the first 60 seconds of the movie. Oh. Um, don't worry, I won't give away the big spoilers, but he, 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 winds up giving, he winds up getting the name Gardner because he's taking care of the plants on Mars. I got to diverge here. Anybody remember Silent Running? Take care of the plants, Huey. Maybe I'm too old. Yeah, no, I don't remember that. I remember the running man. I remember the running man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, no, this one's don't a remember that one. one this one's way back from the hippie era. I, it, it was on Netflix a, a, about a year ago. I don't know if it's still there. Okay, back to the space between us. Anyhow, he's taking care of the plants and whatnot, but it, now he's a teenager. They very conveniently skip over all these scientists having to raise a three-year-old on Mars. That would have been fun, but we don't <laughs> see that. He, he becomes a, a teenager. And he is having this virtual relationship with a girl in Colorado. And it's a good thing they've got a really good internet connection up there. And, they, and, and so they are video chatting constantly, which, by the way, another science fact, it takes anywhere from four to 24 minutes for radio signals to get back and forth between Mars and oh, Earth. Oh, wow. That would make, yeah. That That'd would be a boring Skype session. <laughs> yes, yes. It's even worse than the delay we have to deal with when we do this. <laughs> right. We're just going to Canada. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So anyhow, he eventually he gets to come back to Earth because he really wants to meet this girl. And he wants to see if he wants to find his father because it's a big mystery as to who his father is. Um, so he comes back to Earth and they're concerned. Well, what about Earth's gravity? So they put these special carbon tubes in his legs and all this other stuff. But it still isn't enough. He gets back to Earth. And the moment he sets foot on, on soil, he, he really starts dying. He starts having heart problems and all these other issues because of the gravity. So the clock is ticking and there's this romance that's going on. And they're trying to find his father. He, he meets his girl. Her name is Tulsa. And then they take off on a road trip. He breaks out of the hospital and they take off on a road trip to go find his father and all that stuff. So, and have, and I, I just need to mention this for parents, by the way, and, and they have a little, a nice little camping trip out in the desert, which, oh, these uh, are teenagers and sharing a sleeping bag. And, and so, yeah, we've got that issue in this movie, too. So apparently uh, the, the screenwriters of this film just gave names of what the person did when they were born or where they're from. Yeah, you're, well, you're Tulsa, you know, you're Gardens. 
Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. And I can't recall. Maybe I was concentrating on my popcorn. I can't. I don't think Tulsa was from Oklahoma, but no. she's definitely living in Colorado. But she definitely place. wasn't <laughs> from Mars. That's for sure. No, she's not from Mars. <laughs> yes. So it sounds like a collaboration. If if Orson Scott Card and Nicholas Sparks were to write a, <laughs> a screenplay together, this is what you'd get. Yes, yes. This is very much. That's a very, very good point. I, <laughs> that's I why Jeff's that's really on the what call. Get, Jeff. What what grade did you give it overall? Well, B minus on this one. And as I say, it's mainly, you know, so, okay, so let's remove the little, the sleeping bag moment, which, by the way, we don't see any sexual activity, but it is strongly implied that they're naked in the sleeping bag, and we get the idea. Wow. Um, But if we take that as part away from it, um, and if you can overlook all the plot holes, it's just kind of a cheesy little teen romance. There's not a lot of other content. There's not a whole lot of profanity, a few mild words, but that's about it. They're quite infrequent. And uh, the violence really involves um, peril, and there is, there's a little bit of blood like um, in a couple of medical scenes, but it's all within a medical context. So, you know, it's a, it's a pretty lightweight PG-13, um, but, you know, between, it's just not a, a really well-done story hmm. and then the sexual content. That's what puts it at a B-minus, which is there right on the line for us, just barely recommending this one. But you got to love any movie that has a pun in the title, Right. The yes, space between yes. us. Yeah. And these two needed a little more space between yeah, them. Yeah, they did. And they that needed sleeping two bag. sleeping yeah. bags, for heaven's yeah. sakes. Yeah. Yeah. Always <laughs> two sleeping bags. More space. What, that's what, you know. That's, that's what scouts tell you. Be kids. prepared. Yeah, yeah, and that, that my kids heard that way too often when they were dating. More space, more space <laughs> more between space. us. <laughs> you're a good, you're a good father. So, so Rod, you're gonna, you're here to help us with another problem because during the break, Matt was sitting at his computer. Wondering, what am I going to rent this I need, weekend? I need a movie and to rent. he mentioned the movie that you want to mention next. Yeah, you know this is this is really the choice to see. By the way, just a, a little shameless plug on our website. There's a horror movie releasing called Rings that's releasing. Today. Yeah, I saw that. They didn't. Sh- yeah, they did. have you seen no, it? No, I saw it on your. Sh- I saw it on your site. Is oh, that okay. okay? Yeah, go there. Well, I was going to say, I haven't seen it. They didn't show it to critics, at least in my neighborhood. So so we'll have that on the website okay. later today. But uh, if if that one gets a family recommended grade, boy, that, I, that's like 80 to, 80 to 1 odds. So yeah. there you go. Just the picture um, makes me not want to watch it. What about yeah. Queen of Cotway? Because that looks very appealing. This is the thing to see this weekend. Stay at home, rent Queen of Catway, show it to your family. This gets the very, very rare A grade at at parent previews. Uh, This is just an absolutely wonderful film. It was uh, made by Disney based on a true story and quite closely based on the true story. We did a lot of research on this film when it came out because it's one of the stories you think, is this really true about a girl who is growing up in abject poverty uh, in in uh, in Uganda, and one day in her in her area, she lives in the slums of um, of Katwe, and she discovers this man who's a religious worker, and he is teaching kids in the in the neighborhood how to play chess. And you're thinking, well, what good's that going to do if you're starving? But what he discovered is, as they learn how to play chess, they get skills that prepare them 
to do better in school and to get an education. And that's exactly what happened to Fiona Matusi, who is the actual name of this young girl uh, who learns how to do this. And not only did she learn how to play chess, but she started winning some world championships as well. This is an, an incredibly inspiring film. Yeah. was only out in about a thousand theaters. And to give you an idea, that sounds like a lot. Star Wars was in, I think, 4,300 theaters. Wow. And a lot of people did not see this movie. And, and frankly, I don't think Disney gave it the promotion it deserves. So look for this one on home video. Buy this one. I don't say that very often. Wow. This one's worth your, your money great. to stick it on your family. There you go, yourself. Matt. And a good lesson for kids. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. On film. your site, do you have talking, uh, you know, talking topics, the things that we could talk to our kids about uh, with Queen Abs- of Cotway? Absolutely. If you, in fact, if you go to our movie review page, so each movie has two pages. We have a movie information page that gives you the the content details about the movie, and then any movies that we actually have seen and reviewed, because we don't do all the R-rated ones, as most people know, but all the other ones that we've reviewed, we have a review page, and then if you scroll to the bottom of the review page, you get our parents' guide, and mm. we've got lots of discussion questions there that you can talk to your kids about. That's cool. That's learn family night right there. Yeah. Hey, Rod, in the in the little time that we have left, I know that, uh, well, you know that the Super Bowl is this weekend. I don't know if you'll be watching it, but uh, I was just curious if you have a favorite football movie. I, you know, I'm glad it's Friday because I'm prepped for this question because <laughs> all my other broadcasters have asked me this. And, and the first one who did, uh, I'm not much of a football fan. I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. It is the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> I, so as I've been saying, I watch it for the commercials. My favorite football movie is Rudy. I, ah, I, there you go. Just, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Rudy I remember, okay, in Canada, I really, once I wanted to try and play hockey, and a buddy loaned me all of his equipment. I put all this equipment on and realized I can't stand up. (laughs) So I kind of waddled out to the outdoor skating rink in this country town where I grew up and uh, had my one moment uh, in hockey, and and that was more than enough for me. But Rudy kind of reminds me of that. This guy so badly wants to play football. Good movie. See, good pick, Rod. Well, Rod, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work, and uh, we'll talk to you next Friday. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the Super Bowl. I'm going to be, I'm at least going to be eating. There you go. You may as well be doing that, even if you don't love football. Rod Gustafson's his name. Parentpreviews.com is their game. Go check it out. A great website uh, to help you get through the movies and and, and understand uh, which movies are best for your kids what you could talk to your kids about. It's really a powerful resource, uh, parentpreviews.com. We'll take a break, come back, and, you know, give you a little Super Bowl overview. We'll be talking everything. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Sunday's the big game, the Super Bowl game. Falcons and the Patriots. Patriots, I think, are expected. They have a, I don't know how many point favor, but... We'll get into that. Because this is big. This is a very, very, very big deal. I'm personally rooting for the Falcons just because they've never been there. They've never won it. They need to win it. Right. Terry, what have you got? What do we need to so worry about? Off, what do we need to know? Commercials. People love the commercials. A 30-second spot costs, on average, more than $5 million. 
30 seconds, 30 five second mil. Commercial, commercials of $5 million. Boy, that's, a, that's like double what our spots cost. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not great at math. Should we raise our rates? Yeah, probably. We'll talk about it yeah, after. We'll, we'll have a meeting. We'll have a meeting. So you said who's favored? Yeah. It's the Patriots. Yeah. How, but it's close. But Is it, it close? You're looking like six points. Okay. That's a touchdown. But the the interesting thing is what they call the over-under, the combined score of both. What do you think that would be? Uh, the combined score of both. Is it going to be high scoring or low okay. scoring? It'll be, what would be 60 the com- points. Uh, Seven, no, no, 56. What this was published said 57. That's where I'm so going. you're looking at about 30 points apiece, which is a pretty high-scoring game. That'll be fun. And you want it, You want to see that. There are these things called prop bets. Yes, yeah. Ridiculous things that people can blow their money on. Yeah. I, I don't support such things. I don't gamble because I will lose money. And, and money's hard to get, so I don't try to <laughs> just throw it away. Yeah. And sometimes you see some of these and people are just kind of throwing it away. Like uh, the height of the tallest player to score a touchdown. Oh really? So there's a bet on this? Yes. Uh, do you want the height that I? It'll be a six two, six three. The six, over four. under is at six three. So you can you can you can look at it like is it going to be under or over? You know. Oh my heavens! So and then they actually three. wager on that. And the wow. reason is because the receiver for the Falcons is Julio Jones. He's six foot three. He more than likely will be a target. Right. So right. Guy, right. So what's the uh, heaviest player to score a touchdown? Would you guess two twenty? What would be that over under number? 220? 220. They're saying 240. 250. Right there. There's what? a full there's a fullback that's 250 pounds. Oh yeah. So if the Falcons oh, yeah. get that on like the five yard really line, good. it's an easy yeah. touchdown. He's 250. Oh, I there's didn't your think number. of a fullback. There you go. Yeah. Coin toss. Uh George what? Bush, so that it'll be ninety two years of age. So the question is, will the person the team that wins the coin toss, will they defer to the second half yes. or will they choose to receive the football? They will defer. To the second half. They think they're going to receive. It's two to one. Interesting. That You're does... really bad at these, man. It's almost like I don't know how to bet. What color will Bill Belichick's hoodie? Blue. The coach of the Patriots it'll always be... wears a hoodie. It'll be blue with his sleeves cut off. Blue? Yeah. Yes. Blue leads. Yeah. Good job. You got that one. <laughs> the odds on favorite it's is money. Blue. Let's see. I have all these like earmarked. Uh, if there's a fight on the field... If, if there's a streaker, oh boy, there's odds on that. Will anyone get arrested during Super Bowl week? A player because that happens no. from time to time. What about a political speech by Lady Gaga? That's in there. Ah, um, I'm gonna go no with that. How many times will Tom Brady's wife be uh, showcased during the broadcast? Seventy, just for pure ratings. They sake. just have one, one and a half. Oh really? Yeah. So maybe yeah. two, maybe just one. But she's always mentioned because she's, she's a supermodel. She's a great right? woman. Um, let's see here. The number of times Fox shows stars of their own TV shows that just happen to be in the crowd. Three times. Yeah, they have one and a half. Okay. Hey, what what they'll likely do, because following the show is the uh, 24. Yeah. They're rehashing 24, and they go, oh, look, the stars of 24 are on the 50-yard line. How did that happen? Weird. So weird. That's so strange. By the way, that show's coming up next. The stars of 24, none of whom you've seen before. No, never. Except Jimmy Smith's. Jimmy Smith's is on that show. Oh, is he? Mm Mm-hmm. Good living. 
Let's see here. There's some others here that are quite interesting, but it's stuff like, will there be a halftime show malfunction of somebody's wardrobe that's happened in oh, the past? I sure hope not. Will the lights turn off? That's happened at a Super Bowl in the past. Will there be a power failure in the stadium? Yeah, yeah. Um, will Lady Gaga's outfit, quote, break Twitter? Because everyone tweets out a picture of whatever she's wearing. <laughs> she has worn a, a, a suit of entire, like, lunch meat or yeah, meat Yeah, I hope she wears or, a lunch meat suit. Yeah. That was great. Uh, the fed, odd, a lot of, fed a lot of students, yeah. too. Then she took it to the homeless. The odds that someone catches fire during the halftime show, apparently there's some pyrotechnics, so there could yeah, be some zero. problems. Uh, people are, are what, what's her opening halftime show song? Lady Gaga halftime show, what's her first song? They're looking at all the okay, songs. Yeah. Xanadu, something from um, Xanadu. Xanadu. <laughs> the number of songs during the halftime show. So there's all kinds of things. Uh, there's one here about uh, the, the color of Lady Gaga's hair. Oh, yeah. For How the do halftime you show. That could be anything. What, what color would you? I mean, it's crazy. Uh, what's the first commercial after the coin toss? It'll be a Budweiser commercial. They'll flip the coin and go to commercial. What's that commercial? How long is the national anthem? Who's singing the national anthem? Um... I forgot his name. Oh, Bryant? yeah. Is it Luke yeah, Bryant? Luke Bryant, yeah. Luke Cut. Bryant. So, is he country western? Luke Bryant. He is. And so his is like, the what they're saying is the average is about 1 minute 58 seconds. Will it be longer or shorter than that? Interesting. How many commercials will parody Donald Trump? <laughs> I don't know. Fox has, uh, they've uh, uh, denied several companies that put up a commercial and said, no, we're not going to air that commercial. I'm go- yeah, so I'm, I don't know yeah. what the content was, but they, they well, those will come out over yeah. the weekend. People, oh, here's our commercial that was blocked. Um, and a bunch of stuff with That's the cool. anthem, the primary color related. There's one more But here. I can't believe they do this. Like, oh, this constantly. Is- but, but people, they do these to kind of make the parties interesting. Because uh-huh. you're just like, oh, how many first downs are going to be in the game? And yeah. then you, you set and up I some guess, sort yeah. of board. I mean, if you, yeah, and if you bet on... Everyone five dollars, but it's not even necessarily money. You can do you chores. Can just, you can, chips. You can do yeah. yeah, any kinds of things. Uh, how many? Who gets to eat the last pizza? What pizza? are these called? They're called prop bets, proposition bets. So you could just for fun with your family, everybody guesses, and it's chores. That'd be cool. And this was a list of one hundred and nine of them. No, brother, which is why they're earmarked. And this reminds me of that movie Rat Race, where John Cleese is that wealthy casino owner. Who bets on really weird things? <laughs> like they get up in their personal jet and they're, you know, creating all this turbulence yeah. and they bet on who's going to vomit first. Wow. You yeah. watch some weird movies. I've never heard of that one. Rat race? It's kind of like the oh, modern no, it's that. a mad, mad, yeah. mad, mad world. Yeah, and they all drive yeah. Yeah. Are they driving all over? And in fact, that has a, a character played by Cuba Gooding Jr. who uh, is hated by everyone because at a at a football game he's the ref who flips the coin and then makes a bad call on the coin toss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do. It's really hard. It's a to tough do. job. Oh my heavens! Okay, good stuff. We'll take a break. We're going to come back visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what they think of the Super Bowl coming up and what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. You're only 14 minutes away from sports, BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. We'll be back. The Soulful Tunes of Jerem Jordan. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. 
BYU. I know. Oh. That was the music right there. You, At least he did it in key from what you played back, right? Yeah, he's he's in key. This guy. I was a little sharp, but yeah. You are sharp. You both are. Hey, what do you think of the game last night? Hey, I mean, fun second half, right? Really fun it, second half. When BYU's not down 19 or 16, yeah. half, you know, that's good. When again, and, and then there's that little hope. My yeah. kids were screaming, there's hope. And then millions are built on hope. It got ridiculously loud a few times, and that was so oh, fun oh, to oh, experience oh. that. That is cool. Yeah, BYU uh, dug itself too big of a hole, unfortunately. Uh, young BYU group, scrappy, fought hard second half, and that was nice. BYU had it down to six in the, uh, with two minutes to go. Eight multiple times before that. Couldn't quite get over the hump there. But it was great that BYU at least kept it a game because the crowd was going crazy. And it was like a 14 or 12 or 10-point game for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the crowd was acting like it was a 2 or 4-point game. I know. I, I thought that energy was pretty uh, pretty fun. Yeah, that fun. must help a ton. Yeah, TJ Haas said it was an incredible environment. Uh, Dave Rose, uh, the head coach, said that's as good a crowd as we've had here. Yeah, that's cool. That's really, I mean, they again. They were chomping at the bit to go nuts over anything. And when BYU made a run in the second half, it was deafening. It was amazing. Do, do you think Gonzaga is going to, they, can they hold up against Kentucky? And are they that good? That's, well, the, that's he, the question. Here's, right? the, here's the thing. They're likely not going to have to play one of those top-level teams until the Elite and, Eight. Until a neutral site game. And on a neutral floor, I don't care who you're playing. It's a new court for everyone new game and it uh, makes a difference so they, they're not they're they not having the to go to yeah. rupp arena in lexington and play at kentucky or go to the allen to allen Fieldhouse in lawrence kansas and play there like they, they will benefit from being i think a number one seed and not mm. having to face some of those crazy good teams until neutral site in the elite eight yeah they were saying byu's one of the better teams they've only got one other hard team i guess to play mark few laughed when he said we don't have to face another game like this until the NCAA tournament. <laughs> and he said, "Well, at well, St. Mary's." Well, he because the nineteen thousand fans. He's like, "We're not going to see another environment like this for a very long time." Oh. There, well, he's wrong. There won't be another environment like this. The NCAA tournament environment. Yeah, it's not, not like that. Like last night. Well, unless he's thinking is, they're going to the Final Four, right? Yeah. It, it just doesn't possess all the same virtues. But it's there's not, so yeah. much virtue in that stadium, in that well, arena. Not all the fans are so virtuous, man. Yeah, there was. I heard some. Uh, the heat less, of competition. Less, less than virtuous. The Did heat you? of competition <laughs> happens. Okay, let's let's not ignore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facts. yeah. Well, I mean, it's most of it's in fun, right? Right. I just well, for one side, I just, I just wouldn't call it virtuous. Yeah, no, it's okay. just lovely or of good report okay. or praseworthy. Mm-hmm. Ribbing. It's all good. Having fun. Please seek after these things. Josh <laughs> Perkins, the uh, the point guard for Gonzaga. I said, hey, what was the best thing you heard from a BYU fan? He's like, they had a picture of my girl, man. It was super funny. Wow. <laughs> they did. They were, every time you shoot a free throw, they'd like, be like, do it for Sarah, Josh. Like, do it for Sarah. like shocked that Facebook exists all of a sudden. <laughs> what? We're all into their relationships. Did, how did they have access well, to that? Well, the fact that they went to the lengths of blowing up a picture of his girlfriend. Oh, this like, is using, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. But not every fan does that. Like, good fans do that. Well, the, good fans do that. But the weird thing is section. those guys are going to take that picture home now and put it on their wall. Well, let's hope not. Awkward. Hey, uh, what's on Dude. your show coming up? I got to let you go in about a minute. Let's see. You still doing um, it? There is a Super Bowl too. I don't yeah, know if you've heard yeah. of that. We'll talk about that, and of course, we're going to talk about the logistics and 
the moral victories for BYU against what? Gonzaga? Come on. Isn't that against the show code, Jerem? Yeah. Moral victories. <laughs> but do you make an exception when you play the number one ranked team in the country? Yeah, Plus, Chris do. Miles in the studio, former Cougar. How did our going for two picks go? And Jake Langlois, All-American volleyball player, BYU, is ranked fourth. They host second-ranked UCLA. You can listen on BYU Radio tonight, 9 Eastern. You can watch it as well. You can use the apps mm-hmm. as well. So we'll talk to Jake Langlois. Killing it. Killing it. Uh, really quick Literally pick. Literally in volleyball. Uh, who's going to win? Who's going to win the game, the big game? I'll go with the uh, Patriotas. Patriotas? I'm going with... Yeah, I can't go with the Falcons. Oh, I'm more interested with the, I on the want, prop bets like you guys I were talking about. I want yeah. the Falcons to win, but the, I think yeah. the Patriots are If you ask win. me who to – yeah. I want the Falcons to fly. Yeah. But it probably won't happen. They'll probably no, – I, ju- I just think the Patriots are yeah. going to win. And the, good for Kyle Van Noy. Patriots yeah. are 3-0 and in the Super Bowl versus non-New York Giants. By the way, Eric Rowe or is it four? from the Patriots, I've, I have floated the Provo River with Eric Rowe. Really? Not to brag. We yeah we hung out. Well, you like are you the just, captain of the humble bride, like right? <laughs> right there, I just did. We put that out there earlier <laughs> yeah. this week, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm oh, just sneaking. I just sneak those in there, just sneaking them in there. You've been uh, working out a lot, remember? Oh yeah, for sure. Back, <laughs> I still I feel it every day. I'm in pain. Hey guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. All righty, sir. Have a happy weekend. Kill it, you too. That is uh, yeah, not to brag, but uh, Eric Rowe. You know, he's a back, a defensive back for the Patriots. Just floated the river with him. No big deal. Yeah, well, for not such a big deal, you keep bringing it up. Just floating the river with an NFL star. Not a big deal. It's like the fifth time you said that. It seems to get better every time I say it. You feeling it? You feeling it? Okay, here's a little tool for you. If you get pulled over and you don't know what to say, we always give you some ideas because there's so many things. Yesterday or two days ago, we talked about a guy that when he was pulled over, his his excuse was the wind. He the wind caught him. He the wind was just blowing him down the freeway. That's why he was going so fast. Here's another defense that you may not ever think of, but it's a great one. A Massachusetts man fighting a speeding ticket in court uh, explained it off or tried to ha- explain it off um, by the fact that uh, that uh, the officer's radar gun may have actually picked up a deer, right? So maybe the deer was speeding and not him because there was a deer Nearby, Dennis Sayers was clocked going 40 miles in a 30-mile-an-hour zone in November. He got a $105 ticket. He appealed in court on Thursday asking Officer Royster Johnson if he was 100% sure his radar captured Sayers' speed or if it could have caught the speed of the deer that was in the vicinity. Hmm. Right? When confronted by a skeptical judge, Sayers replied that anything was possible. The fine was upheld. Deer, by the way, can run approximately 30 miles per hour. So that is one of the greatest arguments in court, by the way. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Your Honor, anything is possible. So what you ought to be doing if you get pulled over, quickly look around for anything that might be moving faster than you, possibly. Like a deer, uh a dog. The wind. Oh, we already mentioned the wind. Maybe a dog's been carried by the wind. Mm-hmm. Right. There's two. You could you could start combining some of these excuses. Wonder Woman's jet just flew by. It's uh-huh. the invisible jet. Did you see that invisible jet? <laughs> that woman with a truth lasso? 
Did you see that? Yeah. That's good. Uh, another way to help the con, by the way, remember, we're here to coach the con as well. Police say an Ohio burglar made himself at home in a house he broke into by cooking and showering before leaving. <laughs> Authorities in Youngstown say the 33-year-old man brought his own food to cook during the break-in. Honestly, what a great guy, though. If you're going to break in, you don't steal someone's food. Very considerate. Right. You bring your own food, right? And uh, the man was charged with burglary, breaking and entering, and showering without a permit. Police say the man was arrested after the woman arrived home from work about 12.15 in the morning Wednesday and found her kitchen ransacked with food all over. Her stove had been used. Police reports say the woman heard running water upstairs and found the man in her shower. Yeah. I think that was the man screaming when she walked in on Boy, that guy has got a high voice. That is a... That is a really high voice. And, you know, it's a scout rule, but just clean up, you know? It's always make the place look better than when you Mm -hmm. found it. Yep. And I think he did that. Right. Well. Well, he didn't. He didn't. Well, he was cleaning his body, and then he was probably going to go down and clean up the kitchen. But like you said, he brought his own food to the burglar. Did he bring his own soap? Hopefully. His own deodorant? Who knows? Hmm. As you know, we always like to wrap up the show with a hero story. That way we can all feel good about life. Uh, A boy saw how homeless people lived, and then he did something about it. Listen to this. In Chicago, a nine-year-old boy, Jaquil Jackson, is helping his community take care of those in need. It all started the day his aunt took him to feed the homeless. Jackson was saddened when he saw how the homeless lived. They didn't have the items to start or end their day, said Jackson. So he and his mother took action, creating a nonprofit, I Am Naeem. Uh, Jackson puts together blessing bags, which he hands out to the homeless community. The bags are filled with toothbrushes, socks, soap, deodorant, everyday items that a person needs. He then disperses the bag from a back uh, from the back of his godfather's pickup truck. He's on the ground meeting the homeless community face to face, handing out bags. Jackson's mother says he always takes charge during these trips, proving to be a strong leader at such a young age. In a perfect world. I would buy every homeless person a house, Jackson says. But since I can't do that, I will just try to help as much as I can. Since starting his nonprofit, he's distributed almost 2,000 blessing bags. Jackson's goal for the end of 2017 is to have distributed 5,000 bags. Nine-year-old boy. Are you kidding me? And the rest of us are worried about the Super Bowl, for heaven's sakes. There's hope, folks. There's hope in the future, and it's in the streets of uh, New York with nine-year-old Jaquil Jackson. Again, to be a hero, you don't have to. You don't have to go crazy. You don't have to go out of your way. You just do what you can, when you can, where you can, and it makes a difference. And that's what we challenge all of us to do this weekend. Until we meet again Monday, let's take care of each other. Let's look after one another. And when we come back Monday, let's uh, be ready to start a new week, guys. Until Monday, make it a great one, and let's take care of each other. <laughs> 